0: This is episode 55 of the 99 Forever podcast. I'm Eric Friesen and my guest tonight is making his fifth appearance on the podcast. He's the digital content coordinator for the Edmonton Elks and a contributor to the thehockeywriters.com, Brian Swain. Brian, welcome back to the show.
1: Eric, it is great to be back. Uh, it's been we've, we've done this a few times before and it's always a blast, so happy you be back. And episode 55 now is 55, is that Igor Ulanov's number, if I'm remembering
0: correctly? <laughs> it was. Well, now I guess it's uh, Dylan uh, Holloway's number.
1: Right, right. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, hey, we always picked the good numbers to, to hit <laughs> yeah. on. I know. Did. I think we've done like, didn't we do number 39, I think, or something like that? And uh, oh. we've done a few good ones.
0: Right. Yeah. The numbers have always lined up with uh, you were on for the Mark Messier episode, episode 11, yeah. Yari Curry, 17, Grant Fuhrer, 31. 31. I guess all,
1: that's what it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah,
0: Cujo. And oh, yeah, we talked about Grant Fear and Cujo. And, and I guess also uh, Mark Letestu wore number 55 uh, about five years ago for the Oilers.
1: Oh, OK. Well, there we go. But Ulanov did, right?
0: Remember- Ulanov did. Yeah. If we go back yeah. to the early 2000s, yeah, he was number 55. And I, I was actually wondering if uh, Holloway was going to go with 44 since uh, four is retired by Kevin Lowe. But uh, at least he's keeping that number alive.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. That is interesting that that's the, the number he's going
0: with. Yeah. Uh, so just before we get into some hockey talk, like uh, how was your summer?
1: Uh, it's been busy. Uh, like this is my, my first year as you mentioned off the top. I'm with uh, the Edmonton Alex now as a digital coordinator. So it's been obviously uh, this right, right in the heart of our season in the summer. So it's been, it's been really busy, but it, you know, it was, it was an absolute uh, thrill. This, uh, everything, it was just a really fun summer. Um, and you know, things, uh, kind of uh, this the first summer and I guess the two or three years where things are kind of more back to normal and just, uh, things are opening up or uh, much more opened up around Edmonton again. So, um, it, it was, it was a great summer, great summer.
0: Well, it's good to hear. And, uh, I know that, I mean, we're just days away from the start of the regular season, but there's been lots going on in Edmonton. You recently went to Monday Night Raw. How was that?
1: Oh, yeah, no, that was a lot of fun too. that was our uh our first uh t v taping here in about ten years, I think it was or nine years so yeah i got to uh got to see that, and I tell you there's like there's nothing quite like the um the, the live show when, when it, cause whenever they do, you know, there's house shows and then there's, if anyone yeah. calls the there's house shows and then there's, there's TV tapings. And when you go to TV tapings, you always know big things are going to happen. So uh, that that's always a cool part of the, the TV tapings. Like even if you're, you know, the, the, the product is kind of not what you're maybe not as into it as normal. You're always going to have a good time going to the TV shows because the crowd is into it. And it was, it was unbelievable too. It was completely sold out. So, like, Edmonton obviously loves its wrestling.
0: Yeah, I've only ever been to one live show, and that was in Calgary when I was going to university there back in October... Of 2010, but oh. I've been to I've been to several house shows here in Saskatoon because we only get uh, the untelevised events. And actually, it was 30 years ago this week that Bret the Hitman Hart won the WWF Championship against the Nature Boy Ric Flair right here in Saskatoon. So right. it's uh, Wednesday will be the the 30th anniversary of that, and it's right. kind wow. of wild that it happened on an untelevised event too.
1: Yeah, I think, well, I I don't know, did they, I know, I've seen that match, but I don't know, like, they didn't televise it, but they obviously, they got it. They
0: the have best. the video of it. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: But they,
0: um, yeah, it, they, it was right around the time when Ric Flair was leaving the WWF to go back to WCW, so I think he was dropping the belt right. uh, so he could exit the company. And obviously, it worked out well with Bret Hart. Uh, dropping the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam that year to the British Bulldog, which then sort of, that was the launching point for, now you're going to be elevated into main event status and pursuing the world title.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that that is uh, unbelievable that that happened in Saskatoon of of all places, and then it's on, on a house show, like, I mean, that's, yeah. that's probably off the top of my head, I cannot remember a world championship uh, title change on a other house show ever. I mean, I'm sure it happened way, way back in the day, but in the last 30 years, I don't think it's happened.
0: And you know, I bought Bret Hart's book about 15 years ago, and just reading through it, he had his first ever wrestling match pro wrestling match in Saskatoon in 1977. So it was kind of a a full circle moment that 15 years after having his first match in stampede wrestling, he came back and won his first world title here.
1: Unbelievable. Really cool that, uh, that, that does come full circle like that. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I got it. You know what? I'm going to have to after go back and, and find I don't, I'm sure I have it like I have the Bret Hart uh, DVD collection and stuff like that. I'm yeah, sure so do I. Too. It, it um, is in there. I, he
0: actually dislocated his thumb in that match, too.
1: Yeah. I, OK, this is all sounding familiar now, too, because I've also read the book. And uh, yeah, that's that's really cool. It's really cool you got to go to. Um, was that a Monday Night Raw that you saw in Calgary in 2010?
0: It was. Um, it was right when uh, John Cena was kind of going at it with Wade Barrett and the Nexus uh, storyline around that time. And okay. Yeah, it was. It was awesome to get actually get to go to a live event because I'd only ever seen uh, the like you said the house shows. So to actually be there with all the cameras and the the set a little more. Uh, made up because you know you don't get the the full pageantry when it's uh when it's an untelevised show so that was really cool to get to see
1: the unfortunate thing is too like when you go to start going to the tv ones you get spoiled and then you don't want you yeah the house (laughs) shows are just never the same again um but but yeah i mean i'm i'm hoping i'm hoping the next time they come through here to the tv again because like i say like they it, it was completely sold out so i mean uh they've got a market here
0: for sure. And I, I think the only pay-per-view that was ever in Edmonton was in 2004 when uh, Chris Benoit defended yeah. the World Heavyweight Championship in a triple threat match against Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Um, and were you at that show? I can't remember yeah. if you told me that yeah, or it, not.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely was. Yeah, yeah. Great memory
0: that you uh, can pull that one out. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, that's uh, that, that one that was in fa- is famous because of uh, it was,
0: um, it was heart- the WrestleMania rematch
1: yeah the the match is probably most famous for though is uh Foley versus Orton where Orton is always credited that as sort of like the match that where he kind of came into his own and like f- won the respect of the fans because it was mm. a it was a hardcore match and uh, he, anytime you see like an interview with him, he always cites that and he always like he always goes out of his way to name Edmonton. so it's it's pretty cool uh, that uh, that's, he's he's always kind of referred to that as like the the turning point, the defining match of his career.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I I mean, just a few months later, he became the youngest world champion in company history. So yeah, exactly. I I can see why he might point to that. Uh, Just another thing, too. uh, There was recently an NBA preseason game in Edmonton. Did you have a chance to go to that and see the Raptors?
1: Uh, no, I didn't. I, I did have a chance to go to it, but uh, I had I had some tickets that um, I, I passed on to a friend. He could take his little guy who was a, a big Raptors fan. Oh, that's nice. Probably probably wouldn't uh, won't get a chance to see him. I mean, I, I I probably will sound spoiled saying this, but I mean, I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of NBA games in my lifetime. So like missing out on the first game of the preseason. <laughs> wasn't like wasn't breaking my heart necessarily. Right. but like for a lot of people that that sold out too. That sold out in about ten minutes here. So I mean, it's a lot of people here that um, uh, for for a lot of people here, and, and there were so many kids in the audience that day too. Like they were obviously seeing their first NBA game, so it was it was really cool to to see that um, how much uh, how much basketball has, has become really popular in the in the community here. Because I mean, I like I went to the uh, the Grizzlies' first exhibition game here in 1995 against the Boston. Oh wow! And there was maybe like nine, ten thousand people here at that game, and that's of course at the old, uh, the old Northlands Coliseum. It would have been, uh, I think, it would have been Rexall, not even Rexall at the time in two. Or, sorry, did I say 2005 was 95?
0: Yeah, 95. Oh, you said I, I was it the yeah. Edmonton Coliseum at that time? Yes,
1: yes, that's okay. right. They just, they just renovated it the year prior. Right around the time they were before they were hosting World Juniors. And uh, yeah, so anyway, that, that, that's it would have been Call team at the time. And yeah, it was maybe like 9000, 10000 people there. So to see it uh, 25 years later, I guess, or so selling out in 10 minutes, um, it, it's, it's pretty cool to, to see how far basketball's gone.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the popularity of basketball has exploded across the country. I think Steve Nash deserves a lot of credit for that, but also the success of the Raptors in in recent years, obviously winning a championship in 2019, and everything that Vince Carter even did 20 years earlier. So, yeah, it's it's awesome to see that, and hopefully uh, it it won't be the last time that uh, the Raptors will come back for a preseason game. I think that doing these games across Canada is a great way to grow your fan base even more.
1: Yeah exactly I mean they they have that well they I, I was going to say they are becoming but they have become the, the country's team and I think uh you know the the perfect parallel is is with the Jays and yes. uh you know I mean they they won the the Jays won their world series I think it only took them I guess 92 so 15 years it took the Raptors a bit longer to win the NBA title but I think you look at you know sort of that being the 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 point in each franchise And each franchise history when they kind of like became the country's team.
0: Mm -hmm. And I mean, the fact that the team that the Raptors beat in 2019 was a dynasty team, that just kind of adds to the importance of it, I think.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I mean, everything about it, the uh, the crazy shot against Philadelphia to win it that uh, Kawhi Leonard hit. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's got that that championship run has, you know, it's got all the, the it has everything that goes into like the storybook. One that you look back on 40 and 50 years and, you know, it's uh, it's got all the moments.
0: For sure. And we're seeing how many Canadians are in the NBA now. I mean, you are one of the best, if not the best at tweeting out Canadian NBA stats. I, I can't think of anyone who does it close to you. So uh, in the next 20 years, you might even have more Canadians to be keeping tabs on.
1: Yeah. Well, let's get into the point now where like, I'm like, I'm, I'm not even sure now I've lost track. guy. <laughs> Uh, it's it's that's how it's it's gone from like where there was like two or three guys to cheer for to where it's like now it's like upwards closer to 30 and you know some guys get some guys get signed and i'm not even sure night night tonight tonight exactly how many canadians are in the me anymore which is but that's saying a lot right like uh, to get to the point where it's just uh where it's it's commonplace it's not even really that special anymore (laughs) which is which Kind of, which I mean, I guess is what you're always hoping for. But yeah, it's it's, it's kind of funny to say that when uh, you know to go back to the days when it would be like, oh wow, there's two of our guys here in the league, <laughs> like this is amazing, and now it's just like, oh, we don't have anybody playing tonight. That's
0: weird. And you might start to see players coming from all over the country too. Even if if you know maybe there'll be an Alfonso Davies type player to uh, eventually make his way to the association.
1: Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're still waiting on our first Albertan to make it. You guys have actually had a, a, somebody from uh, Saskatoon make yeah. it. So, uh, but we haven't got, we've, we've had somebody from Manitoba make it. We've had BC. Uh, we've had Maritimers make it. Quebec and Ontario, of course. But uh, we're we're still alone the lone holdout <laughs> here. So we, we got to get our act together. We need to get somebody to the NBA real soon.
0: I'm, I'm sure it's coming. Uh, all right. Um, You know, a, as I just said, we're, You know, three days away from the start of the 2022-23 Oilers season, it's an exciting time in Edmonton. There's, like we said, there's a bunch of events going on, but really, this is what drives the city. This is what drives the fan bases is when the Oilers get back rolling. Brian, after recording 104 points last season and reaching the Western Conference Final for the first time since 2006, is this the most confident you have been about the Oilers' chances to win a Stanley Cup in the past 30 years?
1: Ooh, most confident I've been. That's a good way to phrase it. Um, yeah, I would probably say so. Um I I, I think so. I might have uh yeah, no, I I I would I would definitely I would definitely say so. Like I don't even think I, I, I definitely feel more confident about about it this season than I did heading into last season. And last season would probably have been as close to close to confident at least that they would have some kind of a playoff run in, in the last whatever years, So yeah, I, I would have to say that this, this is the most, uh, I don't, I don't want to phrase it as the most confident that they can win the cup, but the most confident I am in having a deep playoff run.
0: That's a good way to put it too. I mean, uh, the Oilers are inside their window to win a Stanley cup in 2023. Um, certainly in, in my 20 plus years of following the Oilers, this is the most optimistic I've ever been about their chances to bring home the cup. Uh, Even after their Cinderella run to the final in 06 or when they made it to game seven of the second round in 2017, I still wasn't as confident going into the next season as I am right now. I mean, Edmonton has McDavid and Dreisaitl in their absolute primes. These are the two best offensive players in the world. And even though they have set the bar extremely high over the past few years, I think they're both going to take their respective games to even new heights this season. The Oilers have also brought back virtually the same team that made it to the Final Four last year, but this year they will have key additions like Evander Kane and Brett Kulak in the lineup on opening night instead of joining the team midway through the season, as well as a full year of Jay Woodcroft behind the bench. And I also think they've upgraded the goaltending position with Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner between the pipes. And you could argue that that's almost as important as anything. So looking at this roster on paper, I think it's easily the deepest team the Oilers have had since they won their last Stanley Cup in 1990.
1: Yeah, no, definitely on paper. I mean, I think the only one that uh, I would probably just speaking on paper, I would put the I would say the 90 91 team. Uh, really stacks up there too, because I mean, there was still fear. There was still Ranford, Messier,
0: Messier's last Messi, year,
1: Curry, Teigenen, Steve Smith, Charlie Huddy, Kevin Low. Um, there was, you know, that was still it, it. They a lot of them were, you know, they they had their a lot of them were dealing with injuries, a lot of them were getting on in age. But I mean, on, on paper, that was still a pretty stacked team. But yeah, yeah. since then, um, like definitely just uh, pure talent alone. This is this has got to be it for sure.
0: And you know what, not to take anything away from that 91 team, because they were the defending champions, and uh, they did still make it to the conference final, and they made it again in 92, but I I think that where Messier and Anderson were at that stage of their career, playing in their 12th and 13th season, respectively, or I, I guess it would be 12th and 11th season, Compared to where McDavid and Drysaitel are in their mid twenties, I I feel like the, the the top end talent is higher right now than it than it was then, and that's not to take anything away from Mark Messier. You know, he was at, at still an incredible player at that point, but I, I just think the combination of McDavid and Drysaitel might have been slightly more than with Anderson, and and also if you look at the talent across the board. It's like you said, there were a lot of players from championship teams still on on that roster. But with the addition, like we said, of Kane, Hyman now taking a, a pretty good step forward and having a career year last year, uh, Nugent Hopkins is still in the mix. If he's healthy, I think he helps. I, I would say that the talent is is pretty close.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, there's I, – I think uh, – the 90-91 team, I think where they really, you saw what they were was when they ran into the North Stars of all teams yeah. and, and, just, and got taken out pretty unceremoniously in five games. I think, like, I think that team got by more on its experience and its guile. Um, but yeah, like they were getting, some of them were getting older. A lot of them were banged up. Messier was really banged up that year. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think in the end that just kind of, they just kind of wore down and that's not something that I, that will happen to this team. Like this is a team that's pretty much everyone is in their prime. Um, you know, everyone looks like they'll be healthy, and you know, you you hope nothing happens to anybody during the season. Although uh, bumps and bruises always do happen, but you know, theoretically, everybody goes to the playoffs in in pretty decent shape. Then uh, that that's that's what separates them from the 90-91 team. Whereas what separated the 90-91 team from this team is just that championship experience.
0: Yeah, and I think if we were talking about say the 1985 Oilers or the 1987 Oilers, uh, I would easily put those groups ahead of this year's team but uh, by the by the time 1991 had rolled around they still had lost uh players like gretzky and coffee and, and you and curry was gone by then too so you were starting to see some of the key pieces leave town whereas there's they're still the the top end pieces are all still under contract and at the the top of their abilities right now, so let's hope that this is uh, going to be the year that Edmonton's uh, thirty plus year drought comes to an end.
1: Yeah, it it could be, and and you're right. I mean, uh, these you know uh, McDavid and Drysdale are are right in their prime, and um, mm-hmm. this is. Would uh, this is probably as good a year as as good an opportunity as as any as they'll have, but they should have a good opportunity for for a few years in a row here. But I mean, this is probably this is where it's really starting now, where uh, the the opportunity to to cash in and and win the first and of what what uh, I know, other fans hopefully many, uh, at least at least multiple, I'll say.
0: I like the know. sound of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, winning. You know, what, even winning like even if they win, let's say win two. In this day and age, that's pretty incredible. So,
0: I mean, even if they bring one championship back to yeah. Edmonton, they'll they'll be legends in this city forever. Yeah, for yeah, you know, no. for ending Canada's thirty year Stanley Cup drought, for bringing the cup back, you know, the first post dynasty championship. I mean, McDavid and Dryside' will basically already walk on water in that town, but this will just elevate them to even a new level that they haven't seen yet.
1: Yep, no, for sure. Um it will be uh I I think people will be more more than happy with just one, but um I know that I I know that there are people think they can and I mean there is certainly there's reason to think they can win two. We saw Tampa Bay did it, but we you know, we look at how difficult it was for Tampa Bay to get through two and how many you know, seventh games they had to survive just to do that, and then and then how difficult it was to win, come back and and try and do it a third time. So, yeah. um, well, I think winning one, I hope people, if they if they do that, people will understand, appreciate, and I think they will appreciate how amazing of an accomplishment that will be. And if they can somehow do it more than once, uh, like I say, in this day and age, that's that's like almost the equivalent of of winning. Uh, Ah, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to compare it to winning five in seven years. That's, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, we, we know how difficult it is. How many, how many teams have won like Pittsburgh uh, with Crosby there? did they have three, is it?
0: Yeah, they have three. But three. you have to remember, Crosby didn't get his second ring until 2016, which was exactly. his 11th season. So in his first 10 years in the league, he only won one cup.
1: Yeah. Like the gap between his first and second is seven years, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. then, and then, and then they, and then I believe they won back, and they they won back, back to back. back, which is pretty special. But I mean, that just shows like how difficult it is that the, the a team that good with him and Malkin, it took them seven years to get back to that second time. So,
0: and maybe uh, if they had been healthier, cause Crosby and Malkin have both had lots of injury troubles in their careers. If they would have both been healthier, they might've won one or two more sure, in the, er- in the early sure. 2010s. It's hard to say. Uh, obviously, the Chicago Blackhawks were a very dominant team at that time too. But uh, would they have got by the Hawks or the LA Kings one of those years? You know, it it, it seems likely that a, a healthy Crosby would have got them there. Um, and and we can only hope that uh, McDavid and Drysidle can enjoy e- even somewhat of the success that uh, Crosby and Malkin have had in, in their incredible careers.
1: Yeah, if they can hit three, that would be that would be remarkable. Oh.
0: Wow. Um, And to get there, there's going to have to be young, inexpensive, and talented pieces around them. And one of the most promising pieces of the Oilers' future is top prospect Dylan Holloway, who we mentioned off the top of the show, number 55. And following an impressive showing at the Young Stars Classic last month and throughout the preseason, Holloway likely isn't going to be considered a prospect much longer uh, Woodcroft hasn't officially said that Holloway's made the team, but he's clearly earned the opportunity to start the season in the NHL. Uh, Brian, did you think that Holloway was going to make the team out of camp, and where would you slot him into the lineup on opening night?
1: Um... Where would well i first off, I gotta go full disclosure. I, I've hardly paid much attention to the preseason with how busy I've been lately. So I can't I can't give too much insight. <laughs> Fair enough. Into, I don't even know, like I'm not even sure who he's been playing with. Um so I don't know. I couldn't say where I'd slot him, but as far as the question goes as to whether I thought he would make it, I was I was maybe fifty fifty, and that's nothing against him. That's just the, more to the fact that, I mean, there was already, you know, the roster was already looking pretty good as it was. And Ken Holland's history is showing that he likes to overripe guys than to, to get them in there too early. So um, I wasn't 100% sure. I, I, but also the fact that he, he got his uh, he got a shot in the playoffs last year showed what they thought of him and obviously thought that, you know, he, he could already be ready for this level. So it was... Yeah, I was kind of 50-50 on whether he would make it. I'm I'm pretty sure that, you know, by the sounds of everything, he, he he's made it now. And uh, I guess we'll see whether, you know, the interesting question would be is, uh, will he be here to stay?
0: That's true. I mean, he's already uh, burned the first year of his entry-level deal playing in Bakersfield last year. It's not one of those situations where they have to send him back after mm-hmm. nine games, which we've seen with some top picks in the past. But uh, I... I don't think he's a hundred percent locked in to be in Edmonton all year, but I would say that at the very least, if he was going to be going down to Bakersfield, he already would have been sent down, especially with some of the roster moves that they've uh, made, like uh, trading Dmitry Samaruka for Klim Kostin today, uh, putting uh, several players on waivers. It looks like they're going to start the season with just 21 men on the roster And that's just a a result of cap crunch and they have to uh, only have one black ace up in the press box. But sticking with Holloway, you know, looking back to the bubble playoffs in Edmonton in the summer of 2020, the silver lining for the Oilers being eliminated in the qualifying round was that they improved their draft position by nine spots and selected Holloway with their first pick. And almost exactly two years later to the day, he's not only cracked the roster, but he's pushing for a spot in the top six. I mean, he's a big, skilled two-way forward who can skate like the wind and also brings some physicality and grit. I really like his offensive instincts and his high um, hand-eye coordination. And... If anyone was worried about his ability to shoot the puck following multiple surgeries on his left hand, he put those concerns to rest by scoring a natural hat-trick against the Vancouver Canucks last week. Now, personally I would start him on the third line and just let him find his footing in the league before moving him up to one of the top two lines and having him go up against the opposition's top defenders every night. However, it looks like Holloway's going to be playing left wing on the second line with Dreisaitl and Hyman on Wednesday night and it's hard to argue with that decision because he's outplayed a number of wingers on the team. You uh, asked earlier, like where he's been playing. He spent most of the preseason on the third line, but in the the final three games before uh, the the regular season starts, he played two games on dry wing and one on McDavid's wing. So I think that, you know, as the NHL lineups get closer to uh, being what they're going to go with to start the season, it says a lot that Jay Woodcroft trusted him to be in those situations and be playing with the two best players on the team. So, I, I think that's a a bit of a, a sign that he is going to get to play with Drysidle, and it looks like uh, you know he'll he'll start there when they they take on the Canucks uh, in three nights.
1: Well, I didn't know he'd play the game with McDavid either. That's that that does. Uh... Uh, it was That's, the Abbotsford the game preseason, but that does say a lot for, uh, like you said, what what Woodcroft thinks
0: of him. Who was he playing with on the game that he when he had the natural hat trick? Uh, that was a, a, on Dry Seidel's wing. Oh, um, okay. now he, the game when they went to Abbotsford uh, to uh, which was a terrible broadcast. Uh, tons of Oilers fans were saying on Twitter how the broad poor the broadcast quality was. It was almost unwatchable, and um, but. Dry had that night off. He didn't make the trip to BC, so that was his only opportunity to play with McDavid. But he played with Dry Seidel the game when he had the hat trick against the Canucks, and then uh, he played with him again against the Kraken on uh, Friday night. So there seems to be some some chemistry building there, and uh, depending on what Yamamoto's health is, because if he's not ready to go on Wednesday, it seems like Pugliarvi will... Move up and play with uh, McDavid and Kane on the top line, but that that second line looks to be at least uh, locked in for the first game with uh, Drysaital, Hyman, and Holloway. And I wouldn't have expected that if you had asked me a month ago that he would be starting on a skilled line. You know, I thought just give him a soft minutes third line, try and get him as many offensive zone starts, and kind of just let him ease his way into the league and not have to be thrust into playing a, a prime position right away. But uh, the way that he's played and just outplaying the likes of Pugliarvi and Fogel and uh, Shore and some of these other guys that he was competing with for a depth spot on the team, it's hard to say that he hasn't earned the, the, the chance to be there.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say it sounds like he has earned it as opposed to he's not, he's not being put there because they have to put him there. Right. He's, he's He's made them put him put him there, which is i mean that's that's the you know that's the ideal situation i mean if I guess if it doesn't work out, you know you have other guys that you can go to right away so that's um that speaks that's a testament there to the the depth of the organization now
0: yeah and and the fact is that he also played some center growing up, although I think he's gonna play mostly on the wing in the NHL, but because the Oilers have Ryan McLeod and Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the third line, if they decide to move Nuge up to the the second line again, because he's shown uh, that he has chemistry with dry Seidel in the past, then you can move Holloway down to the third line. And I think that's actually a, a pretty solid looking third line with Holloway, McLeod and Pugliarvi. You know, all three guys have fairly good size. They're all good skaters. They're all have, uh different levels of puck skills like this is a th- that would be a pretty good third line and i mean how long has it been since we've went into a season where we said you know the oilers have a really strong top 9 it's usually been you know the the, the top two lines were pretty good but it, there was a, a a quite a significant drop off in talent after that
1: yeah no that's very true and that's probably um going back to something you're mentioning earlier like that's one of the reasons why you can say that this this team is the best poised to, well, however you want to phrase it, win, win a cup or yeah. make a deep run in the last 30 years.
0: Oh, definitely. And uh, Brian, e- even though eight preseason games is too many, in my opinion, one of the best parts of watching these games over the past few weeks has been seeing the return of the Oilers' classic royal blue and orange jersey. After wearing the navy blue and brighter orange jersey for the past five seasons, how happy are you to see this iconic hockey jersey back on the ice?
1: Uh, yeah, no, it's it's always uh, always cool to see these, and I'm I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of these than I am the ones they were wearing the the last few years. So. I, you probably, you probably know if I had my way, I'd have the, um, the late nineties jerseys out there. Those are all my you favorites, would. but, <laughs> but yeah, no, these, these, these are nice. Um, I haven't, uh, like I said, I haven't really seen any preseason games. I've seen a couple of highlights and they, they do right. look good out there, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, I think what, what I, what I can say is that I know it's excited Like everyone who talks anyone who's talked about the jerseys all loves them. So I think like they've definitely, they definitely listened to the fans on this one. And I think that uh, this is the look that people wanted. Hey, and there may be some symbolism to it, right? I mean, like if this is the year that they're ready to, to break out and, uh, and do something special uh, again, then uh, you know, it's, it's the perfect timing to go back to yeah. the, the look that they had when they did so many special things.
0: Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think that, the Oilers Royal blue Jersey is a top three Jersey in the league. That Jersey is linked to the most successful period in Oilers history. And one of the greatest dynasties in hockey history for that matter. I wish it never went away in 2017. And I hope these will be the Oilers permanent home and away jerseys going forward. Because when you look at some of the original six teams like the Montreal Canadiens or the Detroit Red Wings or the Chicago Blackhawks, they have made very few changes to their uniforms in a century of existence. And I think the Oilers should do the same. That's how you build a tradition. And they have this beautiful legendary jersey that Wayne Gretzky and the boys on the bus made famous in the 1980s and that's the jersey that Connor McDavid should be wearing when he eventually lifts the Stanley Cup as captain of the Oilers and I, I believe it was Bob Stoffer was saying on his show that the Oilers players were reportedly asking the organization for them to bring the Royal Blue jerseys back this year so I'm glad they made the right decision to go back to these threads and if they want to experiment with other third jerseys going forward, that's fine. But this should be the look that defines the Oilers.
1: Yeah. I I like the idea of just keeping a a consistent, uh, I think, I think it speaks to the tradition of a franchise. If you can do that and just keeping a consistent home in a way. And I mean, as you say if if you want to experiment with other jerseys there are so many opportunities to do that now like number 1 you can every team can have an alternate jersey but then i mean yeah. there's so many other uh, programs they introduce every year whether it's like the reverse retros or uh, you know, I mean, if if you play like in a stadium series game or a heritage classic, you get to have a special jersey for that. Right. Like, there's all there's always so many different. There's never a shortage of opportunities to introduce like special one-off jerseys. So, like, you know, if you're looking to get like a something to make, you know, just just to get a new look out there to excite the fans to make some money, mm-hmm. and the, those 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 chances will always exist. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I I think we've talked about this before, but like, can you imagine? Can you imagine if the Habs ever, like, even tinkered with their jersey? I know. That's what yeah.
0: I said. That's what the Oilers should be striving for, Were they're just a classic look that you know, exists for eternity and that you never have to worry about it changing. And it's just, it's such a nice uniform too. it. It doesn't make sense to ever move away from it. Even though I do have a fondness for the Jersey from the late nineties through to the mid two thousands. I mean, not just because of the 2006 cup run, but that was the Jersey of my childhood. So I have Several of those jerseys in my closet, I'm a big fan of it, but I still think that the, the royal blue and orange is, is their best look.
1: Yeah, well, I, as I say, I mean, I, I have to admit that, that those 90s jerseys are, are my favorite as well. But <laughs> the, um, the thing I appreciate about the 90s jerseys, and, and I think, too, when they were introduced in 96, 97, yeah. it, was, it was an important thing because the, the team, and I, I won't go into the whole history of it, but I mean, that was the year when the team almost moved. And, you know, they had their season ticket drive and, and you know, they it was they uh, they were able to save the team, keep it in Edmonton. They just acquired Curtis Joseph. The team was finally on an upswing and uh, they'd gone through a year where they were doing, you know, there were games where there was less than 10,000 people in the arena. And they just needed to do something to really create a new energy, a new There's a fresh
0: start, it. a new chapter. Right?
1: And yeah, and to grab the interest of newer fans, too. And part of that was updating the look. And I think that's what they did. But what I liked when they made that shift to the jersey is it was more. They they only really just um, I don't know if modernized is the right word, but they, they 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 just they still kept the 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 classic logo. All they did was, and basically the jersey the jersey striping patterns are even very similar. Yeah. All they did was just was just kind of colorize it so that there was a color that was more hip for 1996 as opposed to. What at the time was a very 80s looking color. Um, so I, I think that's what they did. So I completely understand why they did that as someone who had just become a teenager myself at that point mm-hmm. in time. I, I, I can tell you it worked on me uh, <laughs> and a lot of my friends and peers. So, I mean, it was something they needed to do at the time to recreate the energy. But I, I think now, like, yeah, I think that the, the tradition is so... Is so deeply rooted and said now that you wouldn't ever have to do that again.
0: Yeah. Um, And TSN's Tom Gazzola broke the news that the Oilers were also bringing back an updated version of the Todd McFarlane-designed streaking oil drop jersey as part of the reverse retro (laughs) program this season. Brian, images of the jersey were leaked online last month. Uh, First, what did you think of the original design when it was introduced back in 2001? And what are your thoughts on the reverse retro as well?
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the original one. Um, That might be, I I know I just said it was those late 90s are my favorite jersey. I guess if those are my favorite home and away, this would be my favorite alternate jersey there's ever been. Uh, I, I just loved it. A lot of that's probably nostalgic as well. <laughs> I mean, if I was the age I am now when the, when that jersey was introduced, I'm not sure if I'd respond to it the same way. Right. But like I yeah, I absolutely I I that is my all one of my all-time favorites. Um I was one of the many people that kept on saying we gotta bring this back, we gotta bring this back. Uh so uh I'm a little skeptical on on what it is right now. We we've seen a few like we've seen a few leaks. Uh Tommy has posted the the photo which which shows which was part of it, but I don't. I don't want to judge it based on that photo because I think it has to be seen in its entirety to be appreciated, and I think it needs to be seen in action on the ice yeah. to really be to really be appreciated. So I'm not going to judge it just yet. If I had my way, I would just prefer they did, would have just brought this thing back just exactly as it was. Uh, the problem with reintroducing it through the reverse retro program is that they have to have some kind of twist to it, right, to, uh, it. to make it the reverse retro. So they weren't going to. So it wasn't going to ever be the same uh, doing it that way. So they, we know that they've, uh, we know they've introduced some origin to it. Um, we'll see what it actually looks like. Um, there's, there's been, uh, I know, I think you've, you've shared it, uh, on Twitter, the, um, somebody's done a mock-up, uh, which is pretty, from what I understand is pretty close to being accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I, I I've been waiting for them to uh, do the, the the public unveil. I thought it was going to happen um, a few weeks ago when they introduced their their home and aways. But uh,
0: apparently, it's happening in November because they November, didn't want I it to if... collide with when they're bringing back the. It, it, you don't want it to overshadow the the reintroduction of the the classic royal blue and orange jerseys. Too. No,
1: exactly. And I mean, this is a whole other different thing. You can get generate attention around. Uh, so it would make sense to have it on, on its own day. I remember when they introduced the McFarland jerseys it was already nearly. I want to say it was like almost four weeks into the season. Um, it was late October, and then that was when the season was starting. Yeah, that was the O one O two season. So because they had the Olympic break that year, they started really early. Like they probably played their first game, maybe not the end of September, but like right around October first or second. So it had already got a few weeks before they introduced it. So it's sounding like that timeline might line up pretty much about the same for this, this year.
0: Yeah, and it's smart to bring it out in November, one month before Christmas. You can only imagine how many kids are going to be asking for it. This is just, Smart marketing by the Oilers. So I, I totally understand why they're doing that. And, you know, I'm on the same page as you. I've always been a big fan of this jersey. I have two of them in my collection. I know some hockey fans don't like this look at all, but it was the top selling third jersey in the NHL in 2001, 2002. And I don't know. I just think it's a really cool, unique design. And it's unlike anything the Oilers had ever done before. It was the first time they had moved away from the iconic crest that has been on every other one of their jerseys throughout their 50 year history. And uh, there's also a meaning behind the logo. There's the three skate blades representing three decades of a, as a franchise at the time. And the five rivets representing the five Stanley cups, the Oilers have won. And uh, Gazzola said that the Jersey would have hints of orange as we've seen. And, you know, I wasn't sure how it was going to look either, but after seeing the leaked picture of it, I really like it. Um just having the jersey back at all, I, I, I'm a, a, a huge fan of that. And even if it's a little different, I, I'm still excited to see the Oilers wear this jersey again for the first time since 2007.
1: Yeah, and, and, and to go back to uh, what we you were mentioning there, when they first introduced it and it was like the, the number one selling third jersey in the NHL at that time – it was such a bold move for this team because they, you know, they they didn't break from tradition very much. Like as I mentioned, with when they even when they changed their jerseys, they still kept the same logo. Uh they they you know they just to kind of modernized the colors for, for them to like I would say, and there were some pretty wild jerseys back in the day, but this one was as as um radical as departure as really any team had tried at that point in time and so that was really risky really risky with a with a market that is is is, is as traditionalist as this one is and uh yeah like you know at least the fans at least at least the fans in, in my demographic at that time yeah. uh lo- loved it or and it. um you know it it lasted for for a number of years too uh and uh, yeah, I <laughs> I remember like you mentioned the um the, a lot of the symbolism like the the five rivets and I think I think some of the other details was like wasn't there there was like a gear representing each captain or something like that. Okay, um, yeah, that I have to go back. Yeah, like every little my my new detail of that like represented something. And um, mm-hmm. I, I remember when that first came on, my first question was like. Well, what are they going to do when they win the sixth Stanley Cup? <laughs> it's like, like, how are you going to you going to change the logo? So, uh, so that that's that's where my thinking was at at the time. But uh, and they may have that might be a problem they have to yet deal with in the that's future. A, that's so a we'll good see. <laughs>
0: That's a good problem to have. And yeah. you know the Oilers are only going to wear this jersey for one season. Um, so. It, and, and they'll also probably only wear it a handful of times. Um, so I'll I'll definitely be getting one this winter because it'll be a lot harder to find one after that. And let's not forget, the Oilers are also going to have four jerseys this year because their alternate jersey from last season is still going to be worn again this year.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, so so there you go. So they've already got four jerseys in play this year. And then, I mean, when, when they have... Um When they have their next outdoor game, they'll have you know they'll get an opportunity to introduce another one for that too. So there's always there's always lots of uh, uh, opportunities to 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 come up with different logos. I'm I'm, I am interested to see what they do for their next outdoor game because there's been some really interesting designs from teams in in recent outdoor games from what I've seen. So uh, and the others have shown recently that they're not afraid to to try some of some different things and some unique ideas. So it could be pretty cool.
0: Yeah. And Elliot Friedman did mention on his podcast uh, last season that there's a good chance that Edmonton will get to host uh, an outdoor game in uh, the fall of 2023, about a year from now, which would line up with the 20th anniversary of the original heritage classic. And I think that would be an appropriate time for it to come back to Edmonton and back to Commonwealth stadium um, to Go back to where this all started and where these outdoor games kind of uh, had their had their birth uh, two decades earlier. Yeah,
1: well, they can come to the Commonwealth Stadium. That's that's my stomping grounds now. Yeah. They can come. Uh, they can come. They can come invade well, our turf. Uh, yeah.
0: I will be there if uh, if it happens. So hopefully we'll get to meet up then.
1: I, I I just I actually just was able to uh, to call up uh, the the details on the um, on that jersey because I did something on it last year. So it's so it's yeah, it's the five rivets around the oil dropper, the five Stanley Cups, the uh, the yeah, there's 10 gear teeth on which five on the large outer gear and then five on the inner gear. And that right. represents the the. the the previous team captains in, in Oilers history. See, that, that was
0: point. the one detail that I didn't remember from it. So I'm glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, that must've been 10 at that point in time. That must've included their WHA years. Yeah. That had to have, cause they couldn't have been, I'm just thinking off the top of my head now. Uh,
2: well, maybe not. Cause I did go through,
0: let's see. So, I mean, there was like Chipperfield, Blair McDonald, uh, uh, Lee Foglin, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier. That's five right up until 91. Then we uh, had low, Unless you had five more captains in the 90s. I think
1: there was, because there would be Low, McTavish, Corson, Buckberger. Wait. Yeah. So there you go.
0: Yeah. So And, and also, the, the Oilers have, especially at that time, were still making the, their NHL history the, the primary focus of their history. I I don't think there had been as much acknowledgement for the WHA years. And over the past decade or so, we've started to see that era get uh, recognized a little bit more, but I think they could still even do a better job of that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, um, it's not, it, it it probably never has been recognized to the degree that it is. I don't think like, unless you were, you know, you were alive at that time. I don't even probably the most diehard fans don't have a lot of awareness of it, or they would have to have gone out of their way to, to you know, kind of read up on it the research on their own. Um, there's surprisingly little, like uh, little out there to like, like even just like footage of games.
0: There stuff. isn't very much in the way of video at all. No. And you know, yeah. I've, I've had uh, Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey on my podcast three times. Actually, he was my most recent guest before this episode. And he's always said that the Oilers need to do a better job of – honoring that period of their history and, and and talking more about the WHA and he was a season ticket holder going back to 1977 and you know was an Oilers fan right from the start in 72 so i i always like hearing stories from Bruce and i mean if you look at any Oilers apparel that you can buy it always says established 1979 on it it, it never says 1972 mm-hmm. so they they really are Focusing that 1979 when they entered the league as the beginning of the Oilers history.
1: Yeah, and they have, and I I know we'll probably get into this uh, in a little bit here, but I mean, like with the new Hall of Fame they have, here's Mm -hmm. an opportunity to to start recognizing uh, um, some of that era.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect time to transition to that right now. Uh, So the Oilers did make another major announcement last month when they established their own Hall of Fame. All seven Hockey Hall of Fame players that, uh, from the Oilers uh, that have had their jersey retired from the, by the team, as well as Glenn Sather and Rod Phillips, were automatically inducted into the Oilers Hall of Fame as part of the 2022 class. The organization later announced that Lee Fogelin and Ryan Smith would be the additional two inductees this year. And honored members of the Oilers Hall of Fame will have their names permanently displayed on the ring above the PCL Loge level at Rogers Place. Uh, The inaugural ceremony will take place at Rogers Place on November 3rd before their game against the New Jersey Devils, and I'll be in attendance for that game. And we'll talk about Foglin and Smith in a bit, but first I want to go back to an episode that you and I recorded in July of 2020, where... We listed our respective top five candidates to be included in an Oilers' ring of excellence. And here we are a little over two years later, and it has finally happened. Uh, I should also mention that neither one of us had Ryan Smith on our lists because we both believe that he deserved to have his number retired by the Oilers. But your list was Doug Waite, Bill Ranford, Charlie Huddy, Kelly Buckberger, and Craig McTavish. And mine was Waite, Dave Semenko, Esatik, and Ranford, and Huddy. So we each had three of the same guys. Uh, Brian... Thinking back on these lists, more than two years later, is there anyone that you would change, or are these still the first five players that you would induct into the Oilers Hall of Fame?
1: Yeah, probably not. I'm kind of su- <laughs> kind of surprised with a couple names I have I'm surprised that I had uh, Bucky and McTavish that high. Um, not, not to take anything away from them, but if I was if I was doing this over again, I, I think uh, Kiekkinen would probably get in there for the top five. Um, Wade Wade and Rand, Wade Ranford and Huddy for sure. Uh, I think like anytime th- those ones are always consistently will, will come up with me the, as the ones I'm most sure of. Um, yeah, that's, uh, th- this, this is such a tough conversation, but if, if I had to go my top five right now, does it, does that include? Yeah. So we're not including Smith now.
0: No, well, he, so he's, he's I mean, he's, he's already, he's already inducted. Well, he will be inducted. He's yeah. been he he's been named to it, but yeah.
1: So so Smith so Smith and Falkland are off the table. I would I would go Waite, Ranford, Tekken, Huddy. And this is just players, right?
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We are naming just players, but according to the Oilers. Any individuals uh, from the organization can be inducted. Uh, Anyone from coaches, team staff. So, like, you you assume that that Joey Moss will eventually get in.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean... uh, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer in every way. Yeah, he he has to get in. Uh, I think John Muckler is someone that at some point in time needs to get in there. I wouldn't include him in the top five, um, but he definitely should be honored. Boy, I don't know, like... See if once Huddy goes in there, now now you almost got to put Randy Gregg in because right. he's the only one that wouldn't be in. Like I think, I think somehow you've got to get all because of all the guys that have won. We're probably around for the five Stanley Cups. You've got the first. Uh, well, there's seven of them, right? Yes. Yeah. So you've got the first five in as um, having their numbers retired.
0: I would be think one that. of them. Randy Gregg would be one of them. Those, those guys will, you know, they, they should eventually have their nights. They should
1: I, almost go in in, the, in go in as like a package deal in the same year, I think. I, I uh, wonder together. if,
0: yeah, and I, I'm curious if the Oilers are going to continue with this two people a year that will go in. Or, I think
1: I read somewhere that the maximum is, is two, but it won't even necessarily be that many. Like, they have to get the, the threat. I think it's, the committee has to... Um, a 75%
0: approval.
1: 75%, which is actually a pretty high threshold, especially when you consider that there are so many strong candidates. Like, we could probably make a list, rattle off like 15 guys that you could you could have a very strong case for.
0: Well, I, um, I know you're a big fan of Curtis Joseph, but does his two and a half years in Edmonton, as spectacular as those two playoff runs were in 97-98, is that enough of a body of work to get in.
1: No, I don't think it is. Uh, what yeah, about Bill I, Guerin?
0: I think, Bill Guerin yeah, same, played parts of four seasons here. I mean, these are players who had a, a strong run with the Oilers for a short period of time. But there is there some sort of minimum length of time with the team? Do you have to play at least five years with the organization, at least seven years? I'm wondering what these standards will be. like. I mean, when you think of players like McDavid and Dreisaitl, those guys are going to have their numbers retired by the team because they're headed straight to the hall of fame. But will a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins one day be inducted into the Oilers hall of fame? Will Darnell nurse? These are the types of players currently on the team that I think will get in. I think about someone like would Taylor hall or Jordan Eberle have their night. Those guys might be a little less likely, but there's, there's going to be a lot of players to pick from over the next, you know, however many years.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I could I could throw out any number of names, and and you could make a and and each of them brings up an interesting case as to why they should or shouldn't get in. Um, I'll just take like just an example of each category. For example, mm-hmm. let's let's take, look let look at like somebody like uh, McTavish and Bookburger, who never put up like who never were higher than the third liner on the team, never put up great offensive numbers, but right. both served as captain. Both went on to have McTavish, especially, but Buckberger was a coach here as well. Uh, both went on to coach for the team, so they've impacted the, the, the organization on different levels. McTavish even uh, actually in the front office as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so McTavish is not a good example. So I actually think McTavish should get in just because he's of just how his, long he his was a player resume, he, yeah. He, and he went back and then he took the team to, as, to the Stanley Cup as a coach. So he should get in. So he's not a good example. But let's look at Bucky. Like mm-hmm. one of the... He, he, I think he's one of, like, it, he was here for, like, 13 or 14 seasons. He's, like, one of the... 87 to 99? Yeah, he's one of the top three or four guys in, in terms of longevity with the team. Right. Um, he was a captain. Uh, he was a heart and soul guy. He won, I want to say, three cups. 87, so I mean, 88, 90? Yeah, so he's got that going for him, too. So, I mean, but but he was, like, he was never... He was never more than a third or fourth liner, and he was never a guy that put up great offensive numbers. So, what? So, does that detract from him getting in, or does everything else counteract?
0: I that? don't think so, because like the we're not saying were they a Hall of Fame worthy player, but in the in the Oilers history, I think that you could look at someone like Buck Berger and say he fits the criteria of a Hall of Famer because, like you said, the leadership role he played, uh, the longevity, just to tell the story of the Edmonton Oilers, you, you can't fully tell it without these guys.
1: So, so yes, and I, I agree with that. So let's take another name that I think will be, will be a perfect example as to a guy that's kind of like borderline. Uh, Jason Smith, who served as captain for several years, was another heart and soul guy. He also, like, he's, he ranks way up there on the team cool. in, in terms of games played, too. But he was never around for, like, he, he doesn't, he, again, he was not a guy who was like an all-star player, and he does not have any rings. For exactly. He was also, he
0: was, uh, I mean, Smith was also tied with Gretzky as the longest-serving captain in Oilers yes. history until McDavid broke that record last year. It's almost wild to think that Connor McDavid is already the longest-serving captain in Oilers history.
1: Yeah, that, that does blow my mind, actually. That is crazy that there's been no one... Uh, well, he's probably going to serve in that role for a few more years, more more at least. Than I, then I don't know if anyone will ever surpass that. After <laughs> I don't that.
0: think so. Yeah. Um, I mean, they would because he got the C at age nineteen. It would be very tough for for someone to I- exceed that total. It, it's sor- sort of like Steve Iserman in Detroit, where he got the captaincy at twenty one and uh, held on to it for you know the next two decades.
1: Yeah, I mean, two two very rare things have to happen. Is and, and the number one is that you have to get be be a uh awarded the captaincy at such a young age. But then you have to have a long long tenure with the team. Exactly. And uh, you know, both instances are are rare. Uh, obviously, it's much more rare to get the captaincy at nineteen. But even you know, even having like a nine or ten year run with the team isn't that co- isn't as common anymore these days. So and right. so for both of those to happen. Uh, is, uh, is pretty rare. So he's probably gonna, he's probably gonna, that might be never be touched. Like, you know, he'll probably end up serving 10, 10 or more years and that probably won't be, Mm -hmm. won't be touched. But, uh, but yeah, like someone like Jason Smith and another case, another uh, two other, two other cases I'll throw out there as an example would be someone like, um, uh, trying to think of side uh, well, like, a, like Randy Grake's not a great example because we've already decided he's getting in for the five Stanley Cups. Maybe someone like a Dave Lumley. Uh, Dave Lumley, who was, who was a pretty yeah. decent player, was like a third liner, but played, played a significant role on on Stanley Cup winning teams. But he, he's more, the biggest thing he has going in his case is being part of the dynasty era. Uh, right. Does he get in over, over a Jason Smith or take like a, a Sean Horkoff? Sean
0: Horkoff is an interesting one. And I was thinking about him. I I mean, Alish Hemsky is a lot more of a slam dunk to get into me. Um, But when you think about Horkoff, I mean, he spent parts of 12 seasons with the Oilers. He was also a captain. He was on that team that went to the final in 06 and scored a big overtime goal. When you look at where he ranked, you know, he was top 10 in uh, a few Oilers statistical categories when he was traded to Dallas in 2013. I would say that there's probably more of a case for someone like Horkov getting in than a Dave Lumley.
1: Yeah. And I like for me, Horkov and Hemsky are pretty even. What separates what the only thing that really separates one from the other for me is Horkov having been captain. Um, for yeah, me that actually elevates him and gives him a stronger candidacy to get in. Uh,
0: However, he Hemsky the... was the top player on the team for about a period of five years, and horkov did have that one really strong career year in two thousand five, two thousand six, when he had seventy three points. But offensively, Alish Hemsky was uh, you know another level ahead of him.
1: So I get like with um. How how much weight, how much value do you put in uh, a player uh, being captain? Like, does, well, I think we can agree that Shane Corson isn't going to get no. it. No. <laughs> but, but then every other guy who's worn the sea has, you know, if they're not already in, has a very good, has, has a very good resume to get right. it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, what, what, where, where do you come out on like how, like does, uh, th- because there's so many different factors that play into this. That's it's, true. it's such a difficult thing. Like, there's longevity. There's how much of a you know were you were you one of the scoring leaders on the team? How many Stanley Cups do you have? Did you make any All Star games? Were and as we were talking about, were you a team captain? Were you you know were you a heart and soul guy? What do we do? We take into account like what the team, what what this individual meant to the
0: community. Um, There's all these things. I think that there's going to be a bit of a, there might be a bit of a waiting period for some of these guys though, because when you think about how many players are going to be in the running for this, and let's just say that only two get in a year. So when a name like Hemsky comes up or a name like Horkov comes up, they're going to have to say, okay, like who's all, his competition to get in this year, who are the the names that he's up against? And maybe some of the younger guys gets pushed a little bit further down the line. They say, let's honor the older players first. Um, obviously, you know, you want to get a guy like Dave Simenko in there and, and sadly he's passed on. So he wouldn't be able to uh, attend the ceremony, but uh, his family will obviously be there and, you know, it, it induct him. But it's just, it, it makes sense while those guys are still around to try and get as many from the eighties or even the seventies. If we, if we go back to talking about the WHA, if there are players from that era that you want to include, uh, I mean, this, that would be the time to maybe honor them first.
1: Yeah, no, that's that, that's a, a really valid point. I mean, I, you know, speaking, uh, with, with us, with, with the Elks, I, we recently did our, uh, wall of honor inductees and it was three mm-hmm. guys from the, uh, from from the Elks dynasty teams of the late '70s, early '80s, and and they're all gentlemen now who who are in their '70s, and you know there's there's more recent players that um, that certainly are deserving Hall of Fame candidates, and and they'll have their or, uh, sorry Wall of Honor candidates, and and they'll they'll get in there. Uh, uh eventually but you know we, we did want to to recognize these guys well you know they, they can have the opportunity to enjoy the experience and and of course and to uh be part of it and so i mean i think that's that's a valid point about about going back and 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 recognizing uh these guys from from the 70s or the 80s uh oh well, i just pulled it up here too so we so actually it's um It's a maximum of three nominees. This is for the Oilers Hall of Fame. A maximum of three nominees will be elected annually, each requiring an affirmative vote of at least 75%. Uh, The interesting thing is, too, is when you look at who the selection committee is comprised of, and, um, you know, you you wonder if there is a... Like, not that I'm saying anybody's playing favorites here, although they might be, I don't know.
0: There's former teammates of some of these guys. Like, Wayne Gretzky's in there. There's
1: going to be some... There's probably going to be some, like, you know unintentional bias probably creeps in. So you can maybe see the influence of the selection committee. Uh, I know it says that I think each, uh, they, they, they have three year terms and can serve okay. for a maximum 15 years on the selection committee. So you'll be getting some new voices in there every three years or so. I like um,
0: that, that they have a diverse group though. I mean, I think Shannon Zabados is one of them. Uh, Jason Greger is in there. Like there's people from, Different walks of life, and yeah. not every, not everyone has either worked for the Oilers or was uh, had a connection to the team. Some of them were just media members or, uh, you know, fans. Like Sh- uh, Shannon Zavados was a, um, you know, a, an Edmonton native and and grew up watching the team, and you know, she's probably going to have a her her own um, informed opinion on on who should get in as well. And I, and she was even a, a a goalie in practice for the Oilers a couple times. But and I think that there's. Oh, I wish I could remember everyone who was on the list and and I don't have to I've
1: got it. I've got it right here. Okay. <laughs> so it's Gretzky, Ron Lowe, Louis Debrusque, Chris Joseph, uh, Bruce McGregor. Uh then so that's uh so you have so obviously Gretzky, Lowe, Debrusque. Well, Lowe was a coach as well, but uh right. and, and Joseph, those are all former players. Uh Bruce McGregor is a former executive. Then then you have the form, the media members, Jim Matheson, Terry Jones, Bob Stauffer, Jason Gregor uh and then who they have under the community members category is uh Chief Wilton Littlechild mm-hmm. um and Shannon Zavados so so that's the group right now so uh definitely a, a diverse backgrounds um probably I uh, was besides Shannon who's i think she's i want to say she's around like 35 Maybe even getting closer to the 40 now, which he's still on the younger end. Yeah. Jason Greger's around like mid to late 40s. Stoffer's mid to late 40s. But then Jim Matts and Terry Jones are up in their 70s. And all the players are at least Louis Nebraska is probably about 50. Gretzky's.
0: I think Stoffer's actually mid 50s.
1: Is he? Okay. Yeah. He's up there too. Ron Lowe is like, Ron Lowe's got to be getting close to like 70 now too if he's not oh, there yeah. already. Chris Joseph I mean he was
0: in the he was a goalie for the Oilers 40 years ago so he's yeah. god I wouldn't even be surprised if he's over 70
1: Bruce is probably in the 70s Gretzky of course in his 60s and Chris Joseph is probably getting up there as well so I mean it it it, it it's meaning to an older demographic right now so that we probably see maybe guys older guys get selected and 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 to honest be honest and you know I friend friend who brought this up to me is is he was saying that that's probably part of the reason why why Fogelin got in not to say that he doesn't deserve it because Fogelin definitely deserves to be in team, but he might probably, have
0: had a, a say in that and
1: exactly exactly and and he felt for him and and you know what uh, Fogelin Fogelin deserves it I don't think those of us. I think we, uh, some of us, you know, if unless we grew up in that era, I don't think we can appreciate what he meant to that team. Like Fogelin was Fogelin was the captain when those guys were coming of age. And then yeah. he was, and but then he knew when to, to step aside and let Gretzky lead. So he was not only the guy that was sort of like the guy they looked to in, in their formative years, he was the guy who was selfless, enough to selfless enough to know when it was time to pass the torch and I I think like I I don't know if there's been I I don't think we can uh, fully appreciate we I think we have to be there you know like I think you have to be there you had to be in that room to understand how significant of a role he had in shaping that team that then eventually went on to, you know, to win five, of seven, five Stanley Cups in seven years. And that group spawned several captains itself. Gretzky, yes. Messier, Lowe, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that's – so, I mean, Fogelin is just I, – I think that's my theory on why Fogelin is in there. But And that's, you know, full credit to him. He, he, he deserves it 100%.
0: Right, and, and I think that you summed it up very well right there. He, he might not be one of the first names that comes to mind when you think of the Oilers' dynasty, but Foglin played an important leadership role on those teams in the early to mid-80s, and while he didn't produce many points, Foglin was a rugged defensive defenseman on the most exciting and offensively dominant team in NHL history. And when you have a team with so many gifted superstars, the Oilers still needed to have players that were focused on taking care of their own end of the ice, like Fogelin. And uh, he was an effective shot blocker. He could kill penalties. He dropped the gloves when necessary. And just such a, a, a an important player in the early years of that franchise. He was the captain when the Oilers reached their first Stanley Cup final in 1983 before passing the torch to Wayne Gretzky the following season. Uh, he played – in the Oilers first 7 years in the league and won two Stanley Cups in 1984 and 1985 he, he was also um he played in the 1986 NHL All-Star Game i believe one of nine Oilers that were named to the Campbell Conference All-Stars that year so Fogelin's induction into the Oilers Hall of Fame is certainly deserving
1: yeah yeah he is he is deserving like if if you'd asked me uh a month ago or before this uh, before they announced it anyway like he probably would have honestly I probably would have had him somewhere like uh, as the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, maybe even a little bit lower guy that I would get in. Um, But I, yeah, like I just—it's—it's something that can't be quantified because Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, he—he only won two Stanley Cups, right? Like, say he didn't put uh, up—he didn't put up eye-popping numbers or anything. Um, he doesn't even rank that high in terms of like games played with the team. Like He, he was around for a while, Seven but he wasn't... Of... But, you like, know... He, not, when you look... Not at... Oh, sorry, sorry go ahead.
2: ahead. No, no, you go ahead.
1: Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, like there's so many guys that uh, you know, like... Um, Uh, if if we're just basically on longevity, then well then you know, what what about Ethan Moreau? What about Todd Marchand? I mean, these are all there's so many guys like this, it's like, but honestly, too, like what about Ethan Moreau? What about Todd Marchand? It's it's such a tough. You mentioned the captain thing.
0: If you're if you're looking at longevity and you're looking at uh, captaincy, I mean, those are factors that Falkland has in his favor as well. Uh, so that, that probably played a factor and you know Gretzky knows what he meant to those teams when they were in the hunt for their, their first couple championships I mean he he made it to three straight finals with the team in 83 84 85 winning two of them and uh, you know recognizing that it was time to pass the, the C off to Gretzky at age 22 that he, he, as the face of the, the franchise he needed to also be the captain and it was the right decision at that time I just think, you know, he'll also be the first American that's going to go into the Oilers Hall of Fame. So that'll something that he'll have in um, on his resume and just uh, I I think it's a it's a good decision to bring him in because we we weren't fans at that time. So it's hard for us to appreciate what he meant to those teams. But everything that I've heard and read about him, it, it sounds like he was someone who. Uh, played an an important role and, and was almost like a mentor to a guy like Kevin Lowe because they played such a similar style in the same position.
1: Yeah and and, and I feel like he was the captain at the most pivotal and important uh time to be a captain mm-hmm. on on the team. Like this was when all those guys were just so young and they were ready to be something great, but they they were they I shouldn't say well they, they were about to become something great but they maybe weren't quite ready for it yet they needed somebody like him to fill that role and by the time by the by the time like he passed it off there there were probably multiple guys on the team that could fill that role like Gretzky did but Messi easily could have worn the seat at that point in time right Mm -hmm. so um but at that point in time that he served as a leader with such a unique dynamic um that you know so many young guys someone had to be the that guy and he was the one and obviously he taught them very well
0: yeah and by the time he moved on in in 87 the oilers you know were multiple time champions by that point and were pushing for a third he he obviously was dealt at the deadline that year so he didn't get to be a part of that um that team in 87 that uh won the redemption cup after the uh, heartbreaking loss in 86, but there was a, a foundation had been laid and, and he definitely played a part in that. Um, all right, let's talk about Ryan Smith. Now uh, Smith symbolized what it means to be an oiler with his unmatched combination of work ethic, grit, scoring touch and passion for the game. Uh, Brian, other than the legends who already have their banner hanging from the rafters at Rogers place, is there perhaps no more deserving member of the Oilers Hall of Fame than Ryan Smith?
1: Uh no, no, definitely not. He would have been my, you know, he would have been my number one. I think as you, you said there when we were talking about this uh, in 2020, we both we both agreed that he should have his his jersey retired. So yeah, he would have been my number one pick. I think I as as difficult as it is to kind of narrow this field down from all these names we've been we've been talking about and there's others that we haven't even brought up yet that <laughs> should probably be in the conversation too. Like he was the one that was just like there was no question about it. And there was no question about when. Uh it's it, he it's it's like yes, he should get in and yes, he should get in immediately. Period. And I think anyone you have this you talk to about this will agree that like he was the one universal slam dunk. Um so yeah, I, you know, there's, he, he, checks, I mean, yeah, he didn't win any Stanley cups, but I mean, he checks every other, every other box, uh, that, that you could possibly want.
0: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, Smith was invaluable to the Oilers, uh. No one has ever worn the Oilers jersey with as much passion as Smith. He grew up a fan of the Oilers during the 1980s, and he lived out his childhood dream by donning the orange and blue for 15 seasons. Um, Smith recorded one 70-point season, four 60-point seasons, eight 50-point seasons, four 30-goal seasons, and eight 20-goal seasons with the Oilers. He ranks fifth in goals, tied for ninth in assists, seventh in points, and second in games played in Oilers history. And while there weren't many highlight-reel goals among the 386 he scored in the NHL, Smith was one of the best in the league at screening the opposition's goalie, deflecting shots, and battling for any rebounds or loose pucks in the crease. He also had great strength along the boards and was an underrated passer. Uh, you, you know, Smith helped the Oilers reach the 2006 Stanley Cup final, and he played in the 2007 NHL All-Star game. And a trademark of his was to gather a few pucks after the pregame skate and throw them over to the glass to kids in the crowd. Uh, these were just some of the things that endeared him to the fans in the city. And off the ice, he worked with numerous charities in Edmonton and made countless visits to the Stollery Children's Hospital. So... Even though his numbers are not on the same level as the Oilers' legends from their glory years, Smith is one of the most popular players to ever play for the Oilers.
1: Yeah, well, I think... Uh, I always kind of describe him as, like... Um, he's... I He was the defining Oiler for a generation of fans. Uh, like, oh, I would say anyone... Myself would, included, uh, for sure. Yeah, like I, I, like, I would put... Yeah, like, you're... Like, I kind of... I count myself just coming a little bit before that generation. Um, but like, yeah, I would say like you're, yourself and anyone, you know, probably 10 years younger and that in that age uh, or that range, like he was the defining, he was the defining Oiler. He was who the Oilers were for you as you were growing up. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's maybe like two or three guys that can say that there's like Gretzky was the defining Oiler for maybe one group that it was maybe weight. And then it was Smith, and now, now it's obviously being McDavid, but like there's not many guys that, that can say that.
0: No, and I mean, okay, I became a full time Edmonton Oilers fan in 1999. I follow the team on a day to day basis since then. So I was 10 years old at that time, and Smith retired in 2014, 15 years later. So I was a fan of Ryan Smith through elementary school, high school university and into my broadcasting career and i later had the chance to meet ryan smith in 2018 when i was working for Newcap tv in lloyd minster and i had to interview him which was still the best day of my broadcasting career and and one of the best days of my life actually to get to meet my childhood hero and interview him for a story on tv um and he was as nice as you would expect him to be. He's just never lost that small town humbleness that he had as a kid. And, and you wouldn't even, if you didn't know he was a former NHL all-star who played 19 years in the league, you wouldn't suspect it from talking to him. He just seems like such a, a normal guy um, far from, you know, a superstar who played in the league and uh, won an Olympic gold medal and just all these things. I I was just, so thrilled to get to meet him, and, and he took the time to talk to me even before we did the story. You just you got the sense that he's just a really good person, and and I was just you know came away from that interaction um, as an even bigger fan than I was before.
1: Yeah, well, I, I've certainly never heard heard anybody saying ill word about him. So I mean, it's uh, yeah, I I think uh, I think that you could probably find uh, you know, there's probably someone he probably touches somebody every day like that, that has an experience like that, yeah. you know, just, uh, meeting and interacting with him. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, he was, um, it, he, he, he was, it's, it's always cool when, uh, when, when the, when the good players are good people too, uh, cause it's yeah. not always that way. Uh, um, for sure. And so
0: just, uh, just a absolute gem of a person. And, uh, I, I think that if you talk to any Oilers fans who have come in contact with him, over the years, they would pretty much give the, the the same review that I just did. He's just, you know, a salt of the earth kind of guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's, uh, I, I, I dealt with him a couple times uh, when uh, through my media career as well too. And uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, he's uh, even when he's dealing with media, <laughs> <laughs> which, which which not everybody <laughs> likes. Uh, he was uh, he was he was a good dude. So uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Do you uh, do you have a favorite Ryan Smith memory?
1: Hmm.
2: Do I have a favorite Ryan Smith memory? That's a good question.
1: I mean, like, it's funny because I, I like, I have the, <laughs> the, 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 lasting memory I have of him is just getting like, it's just getting destroyed in front of the net. Like, which is not like a specific memory. It's probably like any, any number of five or six plays on any given game <laughs> that he ever's played for the Oilers. But I mean, on, honestly, like the defining memory I have of him um it's not necessarily a positive one but it's the image of him uh in the airport in in 2007 when he yeah. was traded and just how emotional he was like that that's the one that'll that'll stick with me i i <clears throat> excuse me i wish i could tell you like there was like a a specific play or like a famous goal that i that i can recall but like the first thing that that it will always be that i also will do uh I, I mean i was with the eminent sun at the time so that's the reason why it sticks out for me as well like uh working uh uh that time i remember his final game and how like uh he got like one of the greatest farewell post-game uh uh receptions you'll ever see anywhere i think like i i don't know exactly how long that went on for but it it, it probably gets longer in my mind as each year passes But <laughs> <laughs> like by well, the by the time I'm 80 years old, I'm going to be telling people that was like, God, oh, he was out there for two hours after yeah. and everyone cheering him on. But like, it, it went on a long time. Like people were not ready to say goodbye. No. Uh, so there's, there's that. And, uh, and yeah, but like, I'll always remember, you know, uh, 2007, but that, you know the the reason I remember that is just how emotional he was, and the reason he was so emotional is because of how much it meant for him, or how much it affected him to to have to uh, to leave here. So that 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 kind of in 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 a roundabout way, just um is is a testament to who he was.
0: Yeah, I mean that was a tough one in two thousand seven. I still remember my dad picking me up from high school and telling me on the car ride home that Smith had been traded to the Islanders, and it was just. A devastating blow. You know, we—I'd seen so many of my favorite players traded away over the previous decade. I mean, going back to uh, Bill Guerin, and then eventually Doug Waite, Anson Carter. Just it seemed year after year the Oilers, you know, had to trade these guys because they couldn't afford to keep them. And it seemed like Ryan Smith was going to finally be the one who was going to go end to end with the Oilers and. Uh, just unfortunately a a contract dispute uh, ended the chances of that happening. But thankfully he returned four years later and played out the final three seasons of his career back in Edmonton. And yeah, that 2014 farewell, uh, that was a similar send off to the one Wayne Gretzky got at Madison square garden in 1999. And ironically, that's his hero uh, that they had a, a very uh, similar uh, farewell to the fans and uh, just, yeah, if I had to pick one moment, I mean the game, maybe the game when he uh, took a a Chris Pronger clearing attempt to the face and had some teeth knocked out and missed only I think two shifts and came back and later scored the game winning goal. I believe that was Game Three at uh, at Rexall Place in in the two thousand six Stanley Cup Final. So just uh, that one stands out, uh, scoring a hat trick. In October 2006, in a span of two minutes and one second, breaking Wayne Gretzky's record for the fastest hat trick in Oilers history. That's another one. I think he also scored a hat trick on my 13th or 14th birthday in the early 2000s. So there's, there's a lot of them. But just, you know, this, this guy was my hero. And uh, just I, I can't wait to be there on November 3rd to see him uh, receive this honor and be inducted into the Oilers Hall of Fame.
1: I, I actually got another one too, and it's not really a moment, but one of the one of the things. It's not a moment per se, but I always remember about him is um uh, how the the crazy comeback he made from injury to get on the uh, the 20, uh 2002 the 2002, Yes, yeah, like he was he was he was supposed to be out until like March, I think it was. And I remember uh,
0: that he missed twenty one games. Yeah, and he, yeah. he finally came back in time. Yeah, because Gretzky had already named him to the team. But it didn't look like he was going to make it. And I, to be honest, like that, that celebration, you know, winning gold for Team Canada, ending a 50 year drone at the Olympics, it would have been special no matter what. But having a couple Oilers players on the team like Smith and Eric Brewer, that just added to it.
1: Yeah, the Eric Brewer, that's one of my all time favorite trivia <laughs> questions is, is like stumping people. It, it, it's who who was the other Oiler on the two thousand and two right. Team Canada and like no one ever gets it, but that that's like I love Eric Brewer man. He was I think he's a, I think he's very underappreciated at the time as an Oiler. I think he was underappreciated. Now is in, in looking back in history, I think he was un, underappreciated too. And uh, I think it's so cool that he got to be there. And yeah. some people may say, well, maybe you know what? Maybe he was the only reason he got on the team is because of Lowe had Oilers' influence, and you know what? Maybe that was the case, but he, he was very good in those Olympics and he played a big mm-hmm. part in that team's success. So how did he score a goal there, against
0: Sweden in the first game of yeah. the tournament too?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean how, for whatever, whatever method it was that he managed to get himself on that roster, he was a very important piece of that
0: team. Right. And, and sorry, you were also saying about Smith, uh, coming back from injury and trying to play at the Olympics.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, just to like, um, well, I think he came back like shortly after Christmas. Um, like it was like a month run up before even the, the Olympics and he was back with the orders. and there was like, cause it was, yeah, it was just, it was like a, a remarkable comeback that, uh, that you know, he's, uh, that, that's, that's one of the, the biggest. Was it a things? high ankle sprain? Yeah, it was something like that. Well, I, it was, whatever it was, it was, it was more serious than that, I think, because he got surgery. Like I remember he had surgery that night um, I can't remember the, exactly the specifications of the injury now. I really should be able to remember this. I can't, Uh but I know he had surgery that night, mm-hmm. and then it was like, and, and then it was like whatever it was. The doctor told him it'd be like, well, it'd be like six to ten weeks, and he was like, he was going to be back in five weeks, whatever it was, right? If it was <laughs> if it was four to six weeks, he was going to be back in three or I don't yeah. know, but but yeah, lo and behold, he uh, he was he was not only back in time for the Olympics, like he was back. Well, before the ahead of time, election. he had,
0: he had some time to get warmed up and ready to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the orders needed him at that time. I mean, the orders got off to a, a really fantastic start that season and never mm-hmm. really found their stride again. Uh, they, no, they unfortunately
0: good... they just barely missed the playoffs in yeah. 2002.
1: Yeah. They had, they had a really good, um, a really good March and April, uh, to make it close at the end, but they just, uh, they, they just couldn't get in. And, uh, yeah, they certainly, um. Him, is Smith missing whatever that was. I think he was gone for yeah. both f- whatever four four weeks or so. It Really, really hurt them.
0: Yeah, it was tough. But I mean, at least uh, at least he was able to come back and be a part of the Olympics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, that's uh, that's another one there that just tells you everything you need to know <laughs> about that guy.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, Since entering the league in 2015-16, Connor McDavid has continued to prove on his greatness every year down the line. And despite setting the bar unreasonably high last year, especially in the playoffs, I expect him to exceed expectations again this season. So Brian, tonight I have seven McDavid over under type questions for you. There are both single season and career questions. And after you say whether you think McDavid will reach the milestone or not, I'm going to put you on the spot and actually predict an exact number that he'll finish with. Sound good? Yeah, okay, go for it. Okay, so let's uh, let's go into the first one here. Uh, Wayne Gretzky won the Art Ross Trophy as scoring champion a record 10 times during his NHL career. Gordie Howe and Mario Lemieux are tied for the second most with six. McDavid has claimed 4 Art Ross trophies by age 25. Will he win 7 Art Ross trophies in his career and overpass Gordie Howe and Mario Lemieux for second?
2: Yeah, uh, yes. So, and how over, many I guess?
0: Oh, and how many do you think he
2: will end up finishing with?
0: Uh 8 so he would have to double the amount that he already has now. And, and I mean, I, I think he's a safe bet to win at least the, the next two, which would get him to six and tied with those guys. And that's at age 27. So, you know, you're saying another two more after that.
1: Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm looking at it as he'll do. I'll say he wins four of the next six.
0: OK, so you think that or he'll still the next be
1: seven. Like I think I think his window to do list is within like the next. Yeah, I'll say four of the next six.
0: So you still see him winning a couple into his early thirties then?
1: Uh, I guess so. Right. Cause I mean, within six years, he'll be turning 31. One. In that season. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that would just, if we're looking at players from different eras and, and trying to say how dominant they were against their peers, uh, McDavid has dominated his peers very similar to the way that some of the all-time greats have, maybe not Gretzky, but when you when you look at just where he is compared to the rest of the league, you know, he's so much more talented than the next best player.
1: I, now, now I might be I, I might need to rethink this now. What what is it? Is it like really uncommon for guys after the age of 30 to win the scoring title?
0: I'm sure that's how uh, it has. Um, I think most recently, uh, uh, Martin St. Louis won it in 2013 at age, I want to say 37. Uh, Gretzky won his last one in 1994 at age 33, but it is uncommon after the age of 30 to win a scoring title because Mm. usually by then, um, a younger superstar has come along. That's kind of, uh, exceeded them. But, I don't know if I see anyone in the next handful of years taking that title. I mean, even with Connor Bedard coming around, who might be the next-generational talent, I still don't know if when Bedard is 21 that he'll be able to produce more offense than McDavid will be able to at 29.
1: No, and Mc- yeah, that's kind of how I look at it, too. But maybe, you know what, maybe... Oh, uh, I'm going to go seven. I'm going to play safe. Okay. But I'm still going to say he beats, uh, he beats uh, how and uh, uh, Lemieux. Lemieux. Thank you. Yeah. He'll surpass them.
0: Yeah. He, I, I think that three more is a, is a good bet. I'm, I'm actually going to go with eight. I'll go with your original (laughs) prediction. Fair enough. I, I think he will win eight. And I mean, what if he just is 32, 33 and there still isn't Um, a real challenger to take the Art Ross trophy away from him in in a healthy season.
1: His biggest challenger might yet still be his teammate.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I just wonder if, you know, as as we get into his you know, 32, 33-year-old seasons, if, if he's still the, the top offensive player in the league. And that's going to be something that will be fun to watch by then. But even if someone does pass him, I still feel like he's going to be right there at the top of the scoring lead. I mean, just other than his rookie season, he's never finished lower than second in the scoring race.
1: I hadn't realized that, actually. That's quite remarkable.
0: Yeah, in the past, that's,
1: that's really he, remarkable.
0: He won back-to-back scoring titles, finished second two years in a row, and has now won back-to-back scoring titles again. Wow! Yeah, it's wow, just it, uh, that is pretty remarkable. So it's unbelievable.
1: Yes, I mean a, a guy, a guy like him, right? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. He, some he's one of those guys who just like you can't really rule out anything.
0: No, and, and there's more so, talent around him now than he's than he's had before. So I mean, the chances of him. Um, reaching, you know, a seven, it, it seems even more likely.
1: But, you know, plus, plus, is just like as an old guy, I like to think that 30 is not the, uh, it's <laughs> not, not
0: when, I know not when you start to go downhill. Uh, so. You know, for, for mere mortals, uh, that's when, uh, your skills often start to deteriorate a little bit. But, uh, Connor McDavid is not a mere mortal on the ice. He is <laughs> a supernatural being, unlike maybe one we've seen in the last 25 years.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. It'll be it'll be interesting. I mean, you know what? Father time catches up with everybody. Yeah. That that'll be that'll play a big part. It'll be interesting to see how his longevity is. Uh, you uh, even saw it with Gretzky too, right? Whereas incredible as he was in his in his twenties, like he started his body started to break down a bit, a little bit too, and so uh, it, it did. That that plays a big part of it.
0: And, you know, uh, but like I said, he, he still won three more scoring titles after he left Edmonton with the Kings. And um, it, it, he was able to still prove that he was the best player in the league up to that time. I mean, even in his second last season at, at age 37, he led the league in assists. So yeah. he was, you know, he, he never really lost uh, uh, that ability to, to pass the puck. He, he was c- consistently the best passer in the league, almost throughout his entire career. But when he was with the Oilers, he was almost an equally dominant goal scorer and playmaker. And by the time the 90s rolled around, he was almost exclusively a passer.
1: Yeah, I mean, so much of Gretzky's passing ability was just like his, his vision. Yeah. Um, and that's something that like, even, you know, when, when your body starts to break down, you, you still have that, you still have that, that mentality. You see things that other, no one else and literally no one else on the rink can see. Yeah. And I think that's why he was still able to, to be so, so effective in that role, uh, so late into his
0: career. For sure. Okay. So I've got you for, you're sticking with seven art Ross trophies.
1: Yes, yes. I'll okay, go seven, and
0: I'll, yeah. I'll take eight. Okay. Uh, McDavid led the NHL in scoring with a career-best 123 points last season. It was also his fifth 100-point season in the NHL. He would have six by now, but unfortunately, in 2019-20, uh, the pandemic-shortened season ended uh, the his season prematurely when he had 97 points in only 64 games. Uh, however... He's continued to be a dominant force every single year. And now that he's in the prime of his career, will McDavid become the first player since Mario Lemieux in 1995-96 to put up 150 points in a single season?
1: This company season?
2: Or
0: any season? We'll we'll just say in any season.
1: Uh, I'm going to say no.
0: Okay, you don't think he'll get quite to 150. Where do you think he tops out at? Have we, tops have, we out. Seen, have we seen his peak offensive season, or is it still to come?
1: No, I don't think so. Like I think he can get close. Boy, I'm going to say... I'll
0: say he... You know what? I'll say 139. That would be still an incredible season. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, Uh, Nikita Kucherov holds the salary cap-era single-season scoring record with 128 points. And I have a feeling that McDavid will break that this season and become the first player in the 21st century to put up 130 points in a single season. And um, if he gets closer to 140, it wouldn't shock me either, especially if the Oilers' power play is as dominant as I expect it to be.
1: Well, he'll definitely top 128 at some point in time. I'm sure of that. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'll say his career high. I'll put, put me down for one thirty nine for his career high.
0: Okay, one thirty nine. I do think he's going to get to one hundred and fifty. I've said this for over a year now, so I've got to stick with that, and I, I I still believe it. I think that he will hit one fifty two at, at some point.
1: One one five two. Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right. I mean he he was on pace for one hundred and fifty three points in the uh the second pandemic year in, in uh, 2020 uh when they he was playing exclusively against the Canadian division. But this past season, we saw his points per game average come a little bit down, but still he, he had the, the highest point total of his career because it had returned to a full 82-game schedule.
1: Right, right, right. I mean, to to maintain, he was scoring and putting up points at such an insane pace oh. in 2020 <laughs> Like, I don't know. If that season had gone on to 82 games, I don't know if he could have sustained continuing to score at that rate. I mean, it was it was it was out of the world. Like it's just uh, like it's like and, and as I said a couple minutes ago, I, I don't put anything past this guy because he can achieve it. But I mean, I I think it would have been absolutely incredible if he had somehow been able to maintain that scoring pace for uh for what was that season fifty six
0: fifty six games, and they they played yeah. a lot of you know baseball type series where they would go into yeah. uh, one building for two or three like games. Reduced travel, go.
1: I think, made it easier too, right? Because perhaps don't, it you did.
0: Know.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, think I, I still
0: four- don't. I don't buy that it was an easier uh, division because you know every team, every division had weak teams. If you look around all four of those, it's, it's not like the Oilers were the only team that had. Uh, some some weak opponents to beat up on like the the Canucks or the Senators uh there were there were other teams that were you know around the league that that had uh, some weaker opponents that they were able to pad their stats against too
1: oh yeah no absolutely I don't think uh I I don't look at that as being a weak division at all um in that season that's uh, there, there. there's a few things I would say that like I like like I like like I think you know playing the baseball schedule with reduced uh, which everybody did so everybody mm-hmm. benefited from having
0: no that fans community. either that's a that's yeah, a fact
1: yeah so there's th- th- that everything about that was just so bizarre it's um, it's 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 impossible to try and, and quantify it against anything else really
0: agreed okay uh, McDavid is a natural playmaker but he's also shown tremendous growth as a goal scorer as well he scored a career best 44 goals last season and hitting the 50 goal mark is one of the only things that's eluded McDavid from an offensive standpoint. But do you think McDavid will eventually have a 60 goal season in the NHL? Hmm.
1: A 60 goal season Ah, eh? uh,
2: Yeah.
1: Yes. It's yes, a tough I one, isn't it? I'm, well, I'm just thinking now because I'm thinking like, could he score 60 goals? He could score 60 goals, but I'm thinking, okay, but if he's scoring 60 goals, he's probably getting more than 139 points. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> unless so he I'm just really like, focuses on goal scoring that year, maybe he, you know, I actually would like to see McDavid be a little more selfish at times. He's always looking to set up his teammates, and he is a pass-first player. But I've always believed that if he put his mind to scoring 60 goals and he really wanted to do it, he would.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I, I think too, so, too. And uh, so, yeah, it probably doesn't make much sense for me to say say it. But, yeah, I'll say I'll, I'll go with 60. He can hit 60 for sure.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just bump it to 61 because that's how many records Wayne Gretzky set in his NHL career. It's a, it seems like a good number. So we'll go 61 goals.
1: Um, why, why stop at 60, right?
0: Exactly. And, you know, scoring goals matters to McDavid because it helps his team win games. And only eight players in NHL history have ever reached the 700 goal mark. McDavid already has 239 goals in seven seasons in the league. Will McDavid score 700 goals in his career?
1: Uh, My first reaction is he won't, but I'm just going to do some quick math in my head here first to make sure. So he's about five? What's he
0: at right now? 239, you said? He's 239, so he's a little over 450 goals away. Maybe f- 461? 461. If okay. my math is right.
1: Uh, uh Yeah, you're right. Uh, no, I'm going to say he won't hit 700.
2: He would and need to score enough. What yeah. He will
1: hit. Okay. Uh, boy, you know, even if he is 500, that'd be pretty... But he's already...
0: Uh, I'll say... Uh, but I think he's a safe bet to get to 500. He'd only need to basically double his total already. So let's just say he even scores at the same pace over the next seven years that he has over the previous seven. We're looking at him hitting 500 goals somewhere around age 32.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say <clears throat> I'll just go bang on 550. 550. That's probably a okay. little on the lower end of things, but uh, yeah, and I'll go 550.
0: This is one of the first ones where I'm not sure that he'll get there. I, I didn't want to say just 600 goals because I thought upping it to 700 makes it a little tougher of a question. Um, I'm not 100% sure he'll get to 700 because I think that uh, playmaking will always be the strength of his game. But I do, I do believe he'll score over six hundred goals in his career, and it wouldn't surprise me if he gets over six fifty. But and and he could push for seven hundred. But I'll, I'll say he scores at at least six hundred and fifty in the league.
1: For for comparison, say who is the uh, most recent guys
0: to hit six hundred? Uh, well, Ovechkin several years ago. And then, is there anybody else recently? Uh... I'm just.
1: I'm just trying to, to think if there's like a comparable.
0: I think Patrick Marlowe hit 500 about five years ago, but he played forever too. I mean, it, he was yeah. never really an elite goal scorer. He just kind of chipped away at it over the course of a career. But I mean, not taking anything away from him, he was still a consistent goal scorer for a long time.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, any, if, if you hit 500 goals, I mean, that's... Uh, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head how many guys have done it, but like... I give, they give a lot of great goal scores. It didn't hit 500. Mm-hmm. So.
0: All right. Uh, the next one, Gretzky recorded an NHL record, 2,857 points in his career. No one will ever approach that total again. However, Yarmer Yager came close to becoming the second player to ever reach the 2000 point plateau, finishing with 1921 points. Uh, Brian McDavid is an offensive force who can produce seemingly at will and his incredible skating ability and skill and vision should allow him to play into his late 30s or early 40s if he wants to. Will McDavid become only the second player in NHL history to record 2,000 career points?
1: To record 2,000 career points? Oh, man. I and hate he's at, the party he's at about 700 right now.
0: Under. Okay, you have I, to take under.
1: I, I'm going to go under. I don't like that. Is, and I So don't thinking even know at
0: seven hundred points at age twenty-five, just to put it in perspective. Yeah. So, um,
1: and let's have, just say
0: he plays yeah. till he's forty. So he let's say he plays another fifteen seasons.
1: Okay. Okay, that's fair. So if we say he plays another fifteen seasons, <clears throat> and obviously he's mostly his, healthy,
0: and his and his point totals likely will drop off a little bit after thirty-five, but so he plays another fifteen seasons. So I'm going to
2: do some math here. Okay.
1: Uh, and what's he at right now?
0: He's three points shy of seven hundred.
1: Oh boy, he could get close. <laughs> I think he's going to get close. Okay. I'll, I'll say this: I don't think he's going to play till, till he's forty. But if he does play till he's forty, I think he can do. I think he can definitely hit nineteen hundred anyway.
0: Because wouldn't you say he's a safe bet to get about one hundred and twenty points for the next five years, one hundred and twenty or more?
1: Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I think. Yeah, so yeah, I would agree with that. So 120 times 5 is 600 points. So now we're talking about 1,300 points by age 30. And then how many more points does he get after 30? And when I look at it, I'm thinking if he plays till 40, there might be 700 points in those 10 years.
1: Yeah, that would be to average 70 points a year. So, I mean, say he still gets around... Ninety for a couple the of first years, two or three years of his thirties. Then that you know that that, that leaves you like four hundred to get over maybe six seasons. An average of six. Still pretty good. I
0: I think if he plays until he's forty years old and he's healthy, that I mean that's a big thing. If he's healthy and he plays till he's forty, I say he will hit two thousand career points.
1: Yeah, if those are two big ifs. Um, but if yes if he does play till he's 40 and, and he's healthy I mean yeah he could get pretty close. I uh I'm not sure he's going to play till he's 40, 40 just cuz that'll have been such a he came right into the NHL at 18. Yeah. Um so I mean that'll have been such a long 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 grind for him by that point. I, I I'm not sure if he'll uh I'm not sure if he'll last long but if he does if he does then he'll he will be Within within sniffing distance, and I don't know how much the records mean to him. But if he's like, I mean, if he's if he's forty years old and he's at like nineteen hundred, or he's got nine a yeah, thousand nine hundred and twenty some, like, does he come, come back, back for one or two more
0: years to try I mean, and get to two thousand?
1: Yeah, it's like I I don't know how much of a baseball fan you are, but like Albert Pujols is retiring this
0: year. Yeah, he's he's eight. I think he's well.
1: I want to. I think he was 11. Then he hit one more. I think he's 10 home runs away from Babe Ruth. As yes. like I can't, and he's still near the top of his game. Like I cannot imagine. He's 42, but I can't imagine mm-hmm. how could cannot <laughs> want to come back for one more year to overtake Babe Ruth. Like that well, he, is to me. He did overtake.
0: He did overtake Babe Ruth for second on the all-time RBI list. Yes, yes, he did. He did. Uh, so, and he, I'm glad he, he got his 700th homer. That was. Yeah. Uh, You know, and he did it like uh, the Angels are one of the teams that I'm a fan of, and uh, 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 as well as the Blue Jays. So I I liked having him in Anaheim for uh, several years, but uh, it was probably appropriate that he came back to St. Louis and got that big home run as a member of the Cardinals.
1: Oh yeah, it's one of the. I mean, if this is it, it seems like it is. It's be one of the all time great endings I mean to, he's yeah. playing so well to go out, out near the top of your game and, and there's something to be said for that right these guys don't want to yeah. a lot of guys maybe um, <laughs> they call it the uh, the Seinfeld thing right where you stay one season too long but <laughs> um, I, yeah I mean it's uh, and that's what, it, that's what it'll come to too right like is McDavid it, McDavid is such a I don't know if I, perfectionist might not be the right well I don't know would that be fair to call him a perfectionist
0: uh he's Maybe just not the so, right way to characterize it. He has him. he has an unrelenting internal drive. Like yes, he's just yes. He he's just so wired to he, compete and to so win. He
1: doesn't he doesn't settle for anything no. at all less than his best. So like he strikes me as one of those guys that like when it when his when his game starts to go a little bit is he going to want to keep coming back?
0: Um, Possibly, but I think that he, because he, he's the greatest skater in hockey history, and that's in as someone in his early to mid-twenties, but even when he's, let's say, 35, I still expect him to be an elite skater. Maybe there will be a, a handful of guys who are uh, close to the same or better than him by then, but I believe that his skating is so high-end that even when he's in his late 30s or 40 years old, he'll be an above-average skater in the NHL. So he'll be able to play just because the game has transitioned to such a such a skating game where it's it's you know aside from hockey sense the most important skill to have, and I think that that will allow him to play for as long as he wants to.
1: Well, I'll go with uh, so I'll I'll go with your thing that if he plays until he's 40, mm-hmm. uh, put me down for 1,900.
0: 1900. Can you imagine, though, the moment if he did score his 2000th point? That would have to be a a top 10 individual accomplishment in NHL history. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Oh, I would. I might put it as number two in NHL history. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, I, I honestly can't even fathom it. I can't yeah. and like, a, and then I'll, I'll say this for like the sixth time already. I, 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 I hate doing that. Cause like you shouldn't put anything past this guy, but like, it's, it's almost inconceivable for me at this point. And that's, you know, but we'll, we'll see. And you uh, know,
0: <laughs> this wasn't one of, when, when you're
1: like season number 18 of, of uh, 99 forever, we can revisit okay. this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's where, that's what it'll take us to, to get there. And you know, I, I didn't have this question written down, but just because it's on my mind, if he gets to seven or eight art Ross trophies, second most ever. And if he passes Yarm or Yager for second, most points all time, I, I still think that Mario Lemieux is the second best player ever. I know some people will say Bobby Orr, some people will say Gordie, Howe, others will even think Lemieux is the best ever. But for me, I, I think, you know, Gretzky, uh, the most intelligent player ever, best passer ever, greatest player ever, Mario Lemieux, the most skilled player ever. Um, do do we start to have to talk about McDavid in that class as possibly the second best player ever if he does have the second most Art Ross trophies and second most points in NHL history?
1: Oh yeah, I mean honestly, I don't even think I would be. Per- well, I don't know. I I whenever this conversation comes up, <clears throat> excuse me, I always quantify it as being in my lifetime. Yeah, because uh, I can't speak to like you know the guys from the other eras. It's it's so difficult to compare, but. I, I would agree. I'm like, I'm with you. Like in, in my lifetime, uh, Lemieux was number two mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't even think McDavid necessarily has to do all that to overtake him for number two. I think he needs to win a cup. Yeah. Um, and, uh, maybe two, but like,
0: but yeah, there's just... different, there's different between best and greatest too. And that's the other thing. Like, uh, just in the past six months, the two major sports networks, national sports networks in this country, sportsnet and TSN, have both, you know, elevated him to new heights that i I haven't seen a player talked about in my lifetime as a hockey fan. Uh, sp- uh, on Tim McAuliffe's show, Tim and Friends, he asked the question, "Is Connor McDavid the best athlete in the world right now? And on tsN, I believe it was Steve Dryden who wrote an article asking, Is McDavid the best player ever? Uh, When was the last time that we have seen a player get this kind of attention, where they're being talked about as possibly the best athlete alive or the best hockey player ever? I mean, I I don't think it has happened since the days of Gretzky and Lemieux. Uh,
1: For best hockey player, no, no, uh, no, no one's ever been mentioned in the same breath as Gretzky uh, at all. So, yeah, this is uh, this is rare rare that you hear that, but I mean, that's that's how good this guy is.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go on to the final two wins now. McDavid signed an eight-year contract extension in the summer of 2017, keeping him in Edmonton for the first 11 years of his NHL career. Brian, will McDavid play 12 or more seasons with the Oilers? Ooh. Uh, 12 or more. Um. Essentially, meaning yes. will he play yes, beyond he his current contract? He will. Yeah.
1: Yes, he will. I believe uh, he will too. Do I? Do I
0: have to pick a number? I guess. Well, I, I mean, if he plays uh, to if he plays to forty, that's twenty two seasons, and that, that's kind of where I'm at. I yeah, I'm not. I'm not totally convinced he's going to
1: play his entire career here, but I do think he'll play more than twelve years here, especially if he's playing until four,, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it is possible, but I will say.
2: Huh. I'm going to put him as playing. I'll say 13 seasons in Edmonton.
0: At least 13 seasons. Yeah. I mean, I, I really hope there's an eight year contract extension coming after, uh, the 11 years that he's already going to play here, which would take him to 19 seasons. Um, you know, and and Frank Saravelli recently said on uh, a Daily Faceoff that unless the wheels completely fall off in Edmonton, he doesn't see Connor McDavid ever leaving. And I, I I've always been confident that McDavid was going to be a career oiler anyway. But just sort of hearing some of the, you know, most plugged-in insiders saying that, this is where McDavid wants to be. This is where he's go- desires to play his career. Uh, that does kind of give me at least a little more sigh of relief that you know he is going to be around for years to come and uh, competing for Stanley Cups beyond age twenty nine when his contract expires.
1: Um, you know, I yeah, it's totally possible. I it I think too. I mean, you know, every. He's 25. Who knows what he's gonna want to do when he's 35 or when he's? I mean, right. it's so hard. It's so hard to say. So, but I mean, you know, I, 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 I'll put him down. I'll just say 13, and with a certain possibility that he, that he could be a, a career oyster. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's that's so hard to say. You know, like just the the team teammates change where you where you are and your life changes. I mean, uh,
2: mm-hmm. the,
1: the thing I, I think. The I think it's going to have to, for him to be here at that time, the whole lot of them is going to have to be here. Like, I think, you know, like, I think Dreisaitl, Nurse, and all those guys, they either stick around together or if one or two of them go, they all go.
0: Yeah, and we, the way I look at it, okay, so Darnell Nurse signed uh, an eight-year extension last year. It kicks in starting this season. And Darnell Nurse and Leon Dreisaitl are, uh, from from all... Uh, signs uh, Connor McDavid's best friends from everything we know about him. And I think the fact that Darnell nurse is going to be here for the next eight years also increases the likelihood that Connor McDavid will. And as We've heard from Elliot Freeman and some of the top sources around the league. The salary cap is going to have a significant spike in the next several years, especially in the summer of 2015, when it could jump to as high as $92 million, which lines up perfectly with when Dreisaitl needs a new contract. And I think that if Dreisaitl ends up signing an eight-year extension in 2025 as well, that will also signal that the following summer in 2026, McDavid will be uh, signing an eight-year contract.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think you you keep them. I think they're both either here for uh, for their careers, or if one's gone, I think the other's gone. Yeah. So it, we'll see. So I mean, there's there's so many things, you know. I mean. Uh, I th- obviously how much success the Oilers do or don't have will play a large part in that too. I mean, if uh, uh, you know, and hopefully, hopefully they win a cup or, or two. But yeah, if they don't at the end of this, I mean, is is he gonna is he gonna get frustrated and uh, understandably and, and and want to chase a a championship elsewhere? Uh, so many things can happen.
0: And he, I mean, the way I look at it too is that even if McDavid did win a cup somewhere else, I, I feel like because we talked about he is such a driven player that he would always feel like he didn't get the job done here. You know, he's a legacy player. He wants to win a Stanley Cup with the team he started. I think that is really important to him. So I it, could see it, him coming back. Okay. Like I could see him going and coming back,
1: actually. So. Yeah, like to like to finish out his career, and like you say, like to, to if if he if the job isn't done here, I could see him like wanting to, to close out his career here. So, yeah, but I've never so thought about I, it like I, that. Th- yeah, I think there's any number of scenarios that could play out. Okay. That's why I uh, that's why I went thirteen because I'm thinking like, well, even if he leaves after this contract, hmm. I would not be surprised if he's back for like a couple of years at some point along the line. So uh, we'll see.
0: <laughs> well. I'm hoping for the sake that that doesn't happen, that he does end up playing start to finish as an oiler. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I am happy to hear that you think that he is at least going to play beyond the 11 years he signed for. And, uh, hopefully it will be a lot more than that. Uh, and the last question I have for you, this is the most important one. And we were just talking about it. Will McDavid win two Stanley cups with the Oilers?
1: <laughs> oh boy. Oh <sighs> Ah, uh, you know what? I might
0: have... sure. Why not? I've got him down for two as well. I've I've long predicted that he would win two Stanley Cups here, and I don't want to change it. Um, obviously, even if he won one cup, it would. Uh, immortalize him and he'd probably have a statue right next to Wayne Gretzky's on 104th Avenue. But uh I just believe with the team they're putting together right now and and where he's at in his career in Dry sideline that this team is just primed to go on another deep run. I I I think that two is is very much possible.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely it is. And and you know, and we as we were talking off the top there, I, I hope people understand that even if it is just one,
0: that is still an incredible it's still a It's still a big accomplishment for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. ever since he was drafted in 2015, I felt that that was, you know, I think a lot of Oilers fans felt that that, that was where this was headed, that eventually he would lead oil, the Oilers back to the promised land and they would eventually win another championship. And seven years later, we're as close to that being realized as we've seen in the McDavid era. And, uh, you know, hopefully that, uh, that comes true about, uh, nine months from now. Yeah.
1: I, I think the biggest thing that I would say is that if, if they don't win multiple cups, that does not mean that this is a failure at, not at all. all. No. Not at all. And I think, and I, and I think there's probably some people out there that may say that, and I couldn't disagree with that more. Like it's it like, it is so difficult to do this. Um, you know, if they even make it to like, if they even play in the finals two or three times, like that will be pretty incredible. Like it, it's just, oh. there's 32 teams in this league. That means that just law of averages, your team should only be making the Stanley Cup final. You know, the only two once teams every make the Stanley years. Cup final every year. So that means you should only be getting there once every 16 years. I guess so, or yeah, depending on your confidence. Yeah. So, you know what, every time, for every, every time you win, there's some other team out there, or other teams out there, that their streak just went to 55 years or 60 yep. years or whatever. So, like, that's <laughs> how difficult it is,
0: whatever the Leafs are at right now. What is it for the Leafs now? <laughs> it's, uh, it's 55 for the Leafs, and it's uh, 52 for the Canucks. 52 for the Canucks. And think about the
1: Islanders, like, who won five in a row and haven't, and haven't gotten back to a
0: Stanley Cup final No, they haven't. Thirty-nine years, thirty-eight yep. years. One four straight made it to five straight finals. That's right. Yeah, and their last one would have been 84, right? Uh, 84. Their, 84, last 84, top, their, 84 last, their last, their last, last final of the final was eighty-four. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, the, so you, yeah. So I mean, that's that just tells you how difficult it is. Like they, for for years, they that's all they could do. That's all they knew how to do there, and they're still waiting to get back. So everyone, how, whatever this team does, make sure you appreciate
0: it. Absolutely. I mean, especially after the decade of darkness, when I was watching last year's playoff run and seeing them beat the Kings in the first round and seeing them beat the Flames in the second round and even after they got swept by the abs, I still thought, this is so much better than all those years in the late 2000s and early 2010s when the season was essentially over by American Thanksgiving and we were just playing out the run, and it would be January. And the most important thing that Oilers fans would be focusing on is who are the top prospects for the upcoming draft. When it's May and June, and you're still watching your team play hockey, as as we were this year, it just you, you think like I, I can't believe it was so long since 2006, and and we went through so many hard years. So I'm hoping uh, hoping that this will uh, this trend will continue, and we'll have, you know, hopefully at least. Uh, a decade or close to it of uh long playoff runs when and with a couple ending with a championship
1: yeah well it's certainly uh it the, the having gone through what uh the decade of darkness should certainly help people understand and and appreciate just just how special it is to have this because yeah. you know it 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 uh as as successful as a run as you can have, it can go the other way for a long time too, so just uh yeah, just enjoy it.
0: Without a doubt. And we're going to wrap up the show tonight with uh, something new. I've, I've wanted to try this for a while now, and uh, I wanted to introduce an Oilers trivia segment with you. And I have a top 10 list here. So, Brian, I want you to try and accurately name everyone on this top 10 list. <laughs> okay. And here's, here's how the trivia is going to work. You have 10 strikes. So right. you, ha- you have to name one through 10... Before you get ten incorrect answers, okay. So okay, this sounds fun. You also get three lifelines, and your lifelines are, uh, like let's say you can't figure out who number eight is or or number five is. You get uh the jersey number that they wore while they were with the Oilers. That will be one clue. Your other lifeline will be their the country they were born in. Okay. Or you can have the list of teams they played for throughout their NHL career. I'll give you the, all the list of teams that this individual player played with.
1: All right. That sounds fair.
0: Okay. So, for instance, if you guess number 11, it's incorrect. Or number 12, it's incorrect. You have to try and name 1 through 10. So if you're at 9 and 9, you've had 9 correct answers and 9 wrong answers. We're, we're coming down to the, the final answer. It's either do or die. And uh, we'll, we'll see how you do here, okay?
1: Okay, okay, let's. Uh, are, are, let's are, are, go.
0: Okay, so the one, the, the trivia I have for you today is top 10 regular season Oilers points of the
1: 1990s. Oh, so, oh that's good. Okay, so wow. from
0: any, any regular season points from January 1st, 1990 oh, through, oh through December 31st,
1: 1999. So you actually went and calculated all this. I did. Wow. Wow. That is impressive. First off, first off, <laughs> I got to give you a standing ovation for that. That is impressive. Wow. Well,
0: I, I can't take too much credit. Uh, NHL.com has a pretty good filtering device yes, that helped me that uh, do, do this, but but I, I have this in front of me, and, and I, I
1: promise will, I am not using this NHL.com okay. device. Okay. We're going on, on the honor.
0: Sy- <laughs> We're going on the honor system here. Uh, so take it away. You have your lifelines if you need them. I want you to try and guess 1 through 10.
1: Okay, hey, uh all right, well obviously I'm going to start with number 1. Um uh so
2: I have got to say it's Doug Weight.
0: You are correct. Coming in at number okay. 1 with 444 points, Doug Weight. Okay, good.
1: Good. So that Glad gets you that to one. 1 and 0. Oh no, okay. Uh
2: who else would have been? I hmm. would it be
1: number two? Would number two be Jason Arnett?
0: You're correct again. Coming in at no, number wait. two oh, okay. with now, there's quite a significant drop off from Doug Wade at four forty four. Coming in at number two with two hundred and thirty nine points, Jason Arnott.
1: So nobody else had more than two thirty nine. Well, that list is going to get hard. Uh, no, obviously yeah,
0: I, you don't have to guess one through ten in order. I mean, you you can just guess any names, and I'll I'll tell you if they made the list oh, or okay. not. Yeah, okay. you don't you don't have to predict the list in order. <laughs>
1: I might as well. Well, I got the first two. I might as well see if I can go three for three, and then and then if I'm wrong, then I'll just I'll give up on, on that.
0: Yeah, it, uh, it honestly doesn't matter what what order it is, as long as you get all ten of them.
2: Okay. Uh, so two and zero to
0: start.
1: I'm gonna toss out. Uh, uh, this is a random one. This is not someone I think is number three, but is is um, is Boris Mironov in there?
0: Coming in at number 10 with 160 points. Boris Miranov.: OK, all right.: Two points ahead of the guy who was in 11th.: Who was 11th? I can't tell you because you might guess him.
1: But, well, why aren't, aren't I? Oh, I see, okay, yes. Does that
0: the process of elimination?: Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. See, I wasn't,
1: even, I wasn't even trying to cheat that I
0: almost did. <laughs> uh, gotcha. No, it's all good. So you're three and0 oh now. Okay. Um, and that might help you knowing that everyone on this list has at least 160 points now.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I will say... Joe
0: Murphy? That was who he finished ahead of, coming in at number eleven with oh, 158 okay. points. Joe that's, Murphy. That's my so, first strike. So you're three and one. Yeah. Ah, uh, Craig Simpson. Coming in at number four with 195 points. Craig Simpson. Okay. You've got one, two, four, and ten off the board.
2: Craig McTavish.
0: Coming in at number 14 with 136 Ooh. points, Craig McTavish. Wow. So that gets you two to strikes. four four and
2: two. Two strikes, okay. Uh... Is it
0: tougher than you thought it was going to be?
1: no yeah kind of it's it's really interesting because the, this is like two two really distinct eras yeah like there's the, there's like i'm trying to think who that was a holdover from the late 80s would have still got and then who that kind of like were in the early 2000s yeah might have put up uh there's a lot of guys that i'm really borderline on and i don't what how many i'm at two strikes right now right
0: four correct answers two strikes Answer, two strikes. Okay, you have number one, Doug Waite. Number two, Jason Arnett. Number Ooh, four, whoa, I
1: think I got. Oh, I did. Yeah, I'm going to go with this one, Todd Marchand.
0: Coming in at number six with 182 right. points, Todd Marchand. Okay, that gets you to
2: five and two. Ryan Smith
0: coming in at number seven with 164 points, Ryan Smith. Okay. So now you are at six and two.
2: Uh,
0: you still uh, have I all know, three lifelines. You don't have to use them, but they are there just in case. Unless you, you want to really test yourself and see if you can get all. No, I, without- I, want, I want to
1: test myself. This, uh, this, is, this, this, is, this is a
0: really good one. Um. Six and two so far, so off to a, a pretty strong start, I'd say.
1: Yeah, it's it, it is
2: it's it's tricky though, but um, trying to f- okay. I know I'm pr-
1: well. No, let's go. Yeah, let's go, Tikanen. Tikanen?
0: coming in at number eight with 162 points. Essa Tikanen. Okay. Now you're seven and two. I got three more to get, and I
1: still... I'm missing someone really high, right? Like, number three?
0: Uh, you The numbers you still need to get are three, five, and nine. So I should be... So a couple obvious ones here. Um, well, it might not be obvious. I mean, like, I would think that, you know, Ryan Smith uh, is an obvious one, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what you can do with these last few.
2: Um... Mm-hmm. Zedano Seeger.
0: <laughs> Coming in at number 12, oh. Zedano Seeger with 155 points. So that drops you to yeah. seven and three. Okay. Um, That's pretty impressive that your incorrect answers have been number 11, number 12, and number 14. So you've been pretty close within range on all of those ones. Like there hasn't been one that's been wildly yeah, off the board
1: yet. I haven't been way, way, crazily no. off with anyone. It's going to be someone like... I, I'm surprised I'm missing... Uh, I'm missing whoever is at number three. Like somebody's obviously way up. There, it, it should be somebody
0: pretty obvious that... Um, Do you want to attempt the lifelines ooh. or is that too obvious? <laughs> uh i i i don't care either way i i even respect it i think even a little more if you can complete the list without them but yeah they're yeah they're there if you need them
1: i'm I'm gonna try without i'm gonna go i know this is not i'm sure he's not on there but just just to get this guy out of the way to clear him off my mind because i keep wondering is peter klima
0: Coming in at number five with one hundred ninety-one points, Peter Klima. Wow.
1: Okay, I would not have saw, but I'm still missing number three. Okay, I would not have thought Klima was
0: that high. Was five. Yeah. So you wow. uh, you got him. So now you just need three and nine, and you are eight and three.
1: Uh, can you, Can you tell me the eight that the eight that I've named so far again?
0: Yes, you have have. Uh, Doug Waite, 1, Jason Arna 2, Craig Simpson, 4, Peter Klima, 5, Todd Marchant, 6, Ryan Smith, 7, Esatikin, 8, and Boris Miranov 10. Okay. Still needing
2: 3 and 9 to complete this. Um hmm.
0: I think that number three is the one that that that's frustrating you the most that you don't have one of the guys that's that's that high up.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's kind of got me. (laughs) Is it. Well, okay, this is another one that the another one that I'm just going to throw out there just to get him off my off my mind to, to clear to clear my conscience. Messier.
0: Coming in at number fifteen with hundred and thirty two yeah. points, mark Messi, I will say his points per game average is the be- uh the best on this list, uh even well ahead of uh, Doug Waits, but obviously he only played ninety two games with the Oilers in the nineties, so yeah, that, that played so a big I, factor I didn't in it.
1: i didn't I didn't think he was on there, but I'm like, well, you can't go down. <laughs> if you're going to leave Messier, if it, if it ended up being Messier, the last one on the board that I didn't get, then that would be pretty brutal. So.
0: You wanted to at least go for it then. That's, okay. that's a
1: strike I'll take. That's a swing and a miss okay. that I'll take.
0: So you're eight and yeah. four. Uh, uh, is Shane
2: Corson? Shane Corson.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, it's not Shane Corson. He's number 13 with 137 okay. points. So now I can say that all of your incorrect answers have been 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So <laughs> you're missing number three. Your, your, your five incorrect answers are the five players just outside of the top 10. Who is this guy? Okay, is it. Uh... Oh, couldn't be. So that gets you to eight and five. You, you're still you still got half your strikes left. Yeah, I'm still in good shape, kind mm-hmm.
2: of. Um, uh, wouldn't be him. Could it? No,
1: no. He never played there long enough. I was thinking. I was thinking. No, not Adam Graves. But definitely not be Adam Graves.
0: Um. He really okay, took off probably, when he
2: got to the Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh
1: okay, just based on the how long he was there, Buckburger.
0: Coming in at number three with 220 oh. points, <laughs> Kelly Buckburger. Of course. It's because he was there for so long. Like you never think about him as that's <sighs> I, that's just,
1: that's another thing where like he's just like sneaky. That that's why he should be in, in the uh in the hall <laughs> of fame, right? Hard. It's because you just don't realize.
0: Well, I'll I'll put it to you like this. He played six hundred and eighty games with the Oilers in the nineties. The yeah. next the next most was Doug Waite with four sixty-two. So less than wow. two hundred more two hundred more games than the guy in second. So I'm so down ne- to one. You're nine and five. You have five shots left to get <laughs> who number nine is on this list.
2: Hmm. Uh You know what? Before I throw this one out there, let me think about
0: Mm, Frederick Olsen? It is not Frederick Olsen. No? I'm just looking where he is on this list because I think that's your first one that's really off off the mark. Uh, He's number 46. Oof.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah, that is off the mark. 44 points.
1: Oh, no. I think, no, no.
2: Uh: So you're nine and six now. Huh. Glenn Anderson.:
0: Glenn Anderson is also incorrect, coming in at number 21 with exactly 100 points. So you're down to nine and seven. There's no shame in using the lifelines. That's what they're there for, Brian. Yeah, no, I'll use uh, when I get to
1: 9 I'll use the lifeline.
0: Okay. <laughs> you give yourself one shot at it. This is, I mean, this, I mean you can use all three lifelines on this one guy and finish it basically right now. I could, but where would the fun be in that? I guess I <laughs> Why not roll the dice?
2: I'm really starting to draw light though. I don't have a I
1: don't know who this could be. It's not like it's, yeah, it's not Bill Guerin because that's not a guess by the way. I'm talking to myself on a Bill Guerin. It's not, it's definitely not Bill Guerin. Well okay, let's yeah, I, I said him let's let's just clear this out of there. Is it Bill Guerin?
0: Coming in at number seventeen with one hundred and eight yeah. points, Bill Guerin. Did not think it was Bill Guerin. Not there long enough. No. Okay, so yeah. you're in, uh, nine
2: and seven now. Uh, okay. Actually, I believe you're nine and eight. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm nine and eight. Um, it, well. Are there a couple names
0: that are on your on your mind that you want to just throw out? you don't have to lock one in? Well,
1: I, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to toss out
2: uh, I said Kirilenko, right? You have not. Okay, Andre Kirilenko. Uh,
0: coming in at number 16 with 109 points. So you you're, you're you're pretty close with all of them. You you're you've had everyone from eleven through seventeen, um. So now you're down to nine and nine. Do you want to use it now? Yeah, I'll use I'll use my lifelines. So I mean, you can use all of them, really. So uh, yeah. do you want to start? I mean, do you want to start with country of origin, uh, number teams you played with? Let's
1: let, let's do teams. Yeah.
0: Okay. Just gonna pull
2: up. I am completely baffled on who this
1: could be. <laughs> this this is a good one because I am stumped.
0: I mean, you were really rolling there for a second. I think you were eight and three at one point. Uh okay. I,
1: I've been I've been taking like just desperation shots here for the <laughs> last few ones, because I
0: am I am totally stumped. So Chicago Blackhawks in nineteen ninety one-92. And then No, with- it's not Dave Manson, is it? No uh, just, wait, just wait, just wait. Then Edmonton Oiler's, 1993 until 1999. Chicago Blackhawks again Dean from McCammon? Correct. No. <laughs> Come get at number Coming we get it at number nine with 161 points, Dean McCammon. So you finish 10 and nine.: Oh man, I would net Dean McCammon. Wow. So just to run through the top 10 again, number 10, Miranov, number nine, McCavid, eight, Tekin and seven, Smith, six, Marchand, five, Klima, four, Simpson, three, Buckberger, two, Arnett; and one, Waite. Uh, now that we're finished with it, Brian, uh, rate the difficulty of that list.
1: <laughs> that was one of the, well, that was awesome. That was, that was very difficult. But okay. that was that was awesome. You that that was that was, that was great. That was of all the things you could like try and stump me with. But it's something I should know mm-hmm. that that's like the perfect combination. So wow. Okay.
0: Dean McCammond. Well. I, I look forward to doing another one with these with you uh, down the road and, and see if it was uh, any harder or easier than this one. but I, I just felt like you know you and I are both big fans of 90s sports and pop culture, and I, I just thought it would be a, an appropriate list to to kick off a trivia with.
1: Uh, I'll, 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 I'll give you one last question then for me here. Of the 10 guys on this list,
0: yeah,
1: how many uh, obviously Smith is already there. Uh, yeah. There's a couple guys that already, uh, um, but how many should ultimately end up in the uh, Oilers Hall of Fame?
0: Well, I I mean, first and foremost, I would love for Doug Waite to have his night. You know, since he left the team in the summer of 2001, they haven't really had an opportunity to honor him, um, and just having him have the chance to come back, I wouldn't even be surprised if next season. He gets in. Uh, Jason Arna, no. Kelly Buckberger, yes. Craig Simpson, there's one. That's Uh, a tough one, hey? No, I I mean two Stanley Cups with the Oilers. Uh, He had a 50-goal season here in his first year in 1987-88. He led the 1990 playoffs in goals. He's the Oilers' franchise leader in shooting percentage in both the regular season and playoffs, he's a guy I think would get in. Peter Klima scored a very important goal in Oilers history, but the body of work just isn't there. Todd Marchant, uh, yeah, played nine seasons with the Oilers, but I don't think the resume's strong enough. Tikkanen, yes. Absolutely Esa Tikkanen will get in. Um, you know, He was the third man on the greatest line in NHL history alongside Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry. Dean McCammon, no. Boris Miranov. He was a really good defenseman for them at one time, but probably not going to get in either. So I would say from this list, uh, Simpson, a yes, uh, a yes to in as well, and uh, Doug Waite. So three of the ten, including Ryan Smith, who's going in this year. And or Buck sorry, Burger. not including and and oh sorry, and Buckberger. So so yeah, I guess if you include Smith, who's already in, and Buckberger potentially, so yeah, it could be five out of the ten.
1: Cool. Cool. Be interesting to see. Uh, maybe next time. Do, uh, the uh, the who are the actually? I would never get that. I was going to say uh, between two thousand and two thousand and nine, but or uh, two. Uh, don't go that look course. it up.
0: Maybe not, maybe I'll bring that one back just in case.
1: I there was, I mean, the the, the well, there's So many different players passed through here in that time. I don't even know where to begin or, well, or end know, with that list.
0: One of the things that makes this trivia interesting, and you kind of mentioned it, was that it's basically two different eras. There's the. Mm. There's the hangovers from the the dynasty in the early '90s, and then there's this new squad from the late '90s who, you know, reinvigorated the franchise and got them back to the playoffs after missing it for four straight years. So, you know, it's an interesting mix of guys, and to see where they all land on this list was was interesting. When I even pulled pulled it up, but uh, you know, you did a, a great job, especially early on. I, after that eight and three, you went on a, a string of of uh incorrect answers but you you were hitting them all out of the gate
1: well after that i really had no idea and i was just throwing ones out there <laughs> it, at that point it was like,
0: those two that you got hung up on Buckberger and mccammond
1: yeah yeah well but, but if Buckberger if is like i should have guessed him earlier it's just he never was he never put up many points at all but and you know maybe when you're, when you're there, for, were there
0: when you're there the, the longest you're just yeah. you're bound to get there right Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: no, that was, that was great. That was awesome. And, uh, I guess I, I guess I just pulled it out. So I'll call myself a champion.
0: (laughs) You did it. Well, Brian, I just want to say thank you for uh, hanging around and talking everything from wrestling to basketball to hockey with me over the past, uh, nearly two and a half hours. It's been almost a year and a half since we've done a podcast, which was way too long. I'm glad to have you back on. Um, you know, you were my first ever guest back in September. 2019 and now you're the first guest that's been on the show five times so thank you for everything that you've done and uh, being a part of the show regularly and uh, we'll do another one uh, a lot sooner this time.
1: Hey, that's awesome and is it like Saturday Night Live where there's a five-timers club and you get a <laughs> <Yes>. jacket?
0: <laughs> exactly, You, I, I might have to borrow that from them and, and do that you, you know and just quickly before we wrap up you, you know you mentioned uh, uh, or we talked about that uh, recently that uh, it was the was it the 29th anniversary of when uh, one of your heroes, Charles Barkley, hosted a uh, uh, SNL? Yes. And Nirvana was the the musical yes. guest that night. Um, I guess if we also want to do a wrestling term, you could have stolen the Booker T five times, five times.
2: Yes. yes, exactly. Champion. But uh, <laughs> exactly.
0: There, There's a there's a reference that someone under the age of twenty five might not get. <laughs> but oh, <that's- laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, is that your favorite athlete episode of SNL ever?
1: Ooh, uh, favorite athlete. Well, probably... I don't know. Uh, there's been a couple. Uh, Peyton Manning did a pretty good job. See,
0: you beat me to it because I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Gretzky hosted in 1989, which is still the only hockey player that's ever hosted. And I think that speaks to how big he was following the trade from Edmonton yeah. to LA in the late 80s. That he was a big enough star. That a hockey player got to host Saturday Night Live, and even though you know he didn't get the the best reviews for his performance as a as a comedic actor, you know it, it still just speaks to you know how popular he was at that time. Uh, especially, I mean, he was already massively famous in, the, in Canada, but you know his his stardom was definitely on the rise in the U.S. at that time. And I, uh, yeah, oh, no, sorry, I what, seem to remember. Who was the musical guest on his episode? Oh, I I can't remember. But uh I know he did an ep- he did a, a a skit of Wayne's World with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Yes. And there's also
1: a, like the, what was it? The hockey in Hawaii or whatever?
0: Uh that, ho- that's, that's the hockey Man, I wish I could remember that. The hockey hockey luau or something yes, like that. Yes,
1: that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i remember that but uh i did actually see they showed many many years ago uh they showed his episode on on snl vintage okay um i almost want to say it's guest musical guest was public enemy but that can't be right but uh yeah no the uh uh peyton manning i mean like peyton manning was actually like legitimately funny
0: Oh, that's what I was going to say. You know, Peyton Manning's my favorite football player ever. Um, Oh, really?
1: I didn't know that. And
0: and, and I will say that, yeah, and his episode in 2007, right after they won the Super Bowl, that that I I think is still the best athlete episode ever. And you know what? Eli Manning is actually pretty funny too. Both the Manning brothers are underrated for, for their comedic timing.
1: I think I think they're appreciated now that they've got like the Manning cast and the the do the Monday night football yeah. watch along stuff. Like they're I, I've said a few times that like the Peyton Manning should be a late night talk show host. <laughs> he like
0: he's he, that good.
1: Yeah, you know, he is if, that good.
0: If he wasn't a supremely talented NFL quarterback who had a career in broadcasting waiting for him as soon as he retired, you know, he, his he, he could at least have some job in in uh comedy writing or or hosting, as you said. Do you remember just uh while I got it on the top of my mind, the, the Super Bowl commercial that Eli Manning did with uh I think it was Odell Beckham Jr. where they recreated the dirty dancing scene? I don't remember that. Okay, no. well it's they're doing the dance to to dirty dancing like with Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Gray. And I think I think it's Odell Beckham Jr. runs Adam, and Eli lifts him up, and it's and the, the song from the movie uh, "The Time of Your Life" is playing, and it just it's hilarious. I think that that's why I said both the Manning brothers have um, are willing to make fun of themselves, which I think makes them even more likable to to a lot of fans who who might not have even been fans of their teams.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, they, no, they've got, like, they have so many people that are fans of them now that probably didn't, that probably disliked them when they were players. Probably. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. So, like I, they're, I just looked it up, too. The The musical guest from Gretzky's episode was Flying Young Cannibals, which is a fine <laughs> 80s band. Yeah. Oh, and
0: they, they had a big hit in 1989, uh, She Drives Me Crazy, I believe yes. it's called. And yep, you got it. there had to be no question that that was the song they sang that night
1: that that's exactly the song they did that night so there you go so like that was uh that 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 was so that episode is so 1989 it can't even
0: yeah you can't top it it's you know well if we hadn't filled in our late 80s uh 90s uh pop culture references throughout the podcast we definitely hit the quota there
1: yes we're we're (laughs) we're definitely keying on a a specific demographic
0: here that's awesome man all right well thank you again so much for being on the podcast I could talk hockey with you and and uh, '90s references anytime. So we'll we'll do this again soon.
1: Yeah. All right. For sure. Always. Always a blast, Eric. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> awesome. All right. So for Brian Swain, I'm Eric Friesen. This has been the '99 Forever
2: Podcast. We're out.